And with me, as always, helping me build an arc. Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we've played. Activision Blizzard lays off 8% of its employees. Bethesda breaks their promise that Fallout 76 microtransactions would be cosmetic only. Civilization 6 Steam end-user license agreement changes to allow for data collection. We'll have a quick reminder in Community Corner about Game Night. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. I'm all better. Ish. Well, uh, well, for your standards, which for most people that wouldn't be much, but still. Yeah. I had strep throat last week, everyone. My kid had it uh, and brought it home and gave it to me. Thankfully, Katie seems to have missed it. And at this point, it's unlikely that she will catch it from either of us because both me and my kid have been on, on antibiotics for nearly a week. So probably in the clear. But yeah, Saturday, or not Saturday, Tuesday, I decided when I got, or when the test came back positive, I was like, I'm just going to chill. We'll see how I'm doing Wednesday. And then Wednesday was not good. Gargling battery acid? It felt like it. And then Thursday, I had to go back to work, and I still was not doing great. And then Friday was well, good thing you don't a have little to better. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like I, I talk for a living or anything. But by Friday, I was pretty okay, and I was recovered enough to enjoy Valentine's our Valentine's weekend celebration, Katie and I. So that was good. I mean, we didn't we didn't do much. We watched a lot of Daredevil and cooked a very delicious meal. And then Sunday, I spent most of the day like playing games because my kid was gone to my parents' house for the weekend. So I have several games to talk about at length. And since we had an off week, I have a few games to talk about as well. Indeed. We sort of each have five, although three of them are shared. Um, and we'll be covering those last. We're going to do our individual games first. Which, if you would like to kick us off, Rage, so tell us what you've you're, been So you're saying the game is on? The game is on. The game is afoot. So my first game is Sherlock Holmes' The Devil's Daughter. Which is the last and, well, obviously most recent of the Sherlock Holmes games from Frogwares. And it's been a very, very long time since I've played a Sherlock Holmes game. Mostly because it requires you to be, well, Sherlock Holmes. That's both a strength and a weakness of, of Sherlock Holmes games, actually. Which we'll get to in a little bit. But they've really changed this game series. For one, it's a lot prettier these days. Used to be back in the day, it was kind of rough looking, even for the games of its time. Uh, all the animations were very stilted, and it was almost like a uh, hidden picture game where you had to find uh, the clues hidden throughout the environment to be able to piece together everything about the case. And it was very static. Well, they've changed this to be a more action-oriented game, sort of like uh, the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes, which I don't have a, much of a problem with uh, that interpretation of the character, him being more of an action hero, because 
Back in the day, Sherlock Holmes was an action hero. He isn't by today's standards, but back then he was. So, having him being more action-oriented, you know, actually makes a bit of sense uh, to for a modern interpretation. And they also kind of nicked Batman's detective vision <laughs> to try to help out with some of the issues that the older games had. I believe Sherlock Vision. Uh, well, they. I'm trying to think of what they called it. I think it was just investigation mode. Because yeah, they couldn't use detective vision. <laughs> ironically <laughs> enough, huh? Yeah, a consultant vision, right? <laughs> uh, but. Uh... Uh, but it's not a dead giveaway of uh, all the clues. You still have to try to sort out yourself. Uh, a good example of this, I've only played through one of the five or six cases in the game, and it seems like each of the cases is independent of one another, uh, which also is a strength in the game, in my opinion. It plays like an episodic game. Because Sherlock Holmes Adventures, if they are stretched out too long, they become rather tiresome. So... Having them being self-contained adventures at about an hour and a half, two hours length is about the right place, in my opinion, for a Sherlock Holmes story. Uh, But a good example of the detective vision, I'm just going to steal the Batman term because it makes a lot more sense, is during the uh, first case, which is essentially a a, a mini tutorial. Uh, It's half tutorial, half a, a deductive case. And you're contacted by this uh, boy who uh, is looking for you to help find his missing father. And you're uh, in his home. He's a, a, a peasant boy, uh, you know, uh, barely making ends meet. And uh, as you're going around, uh, one of the clues I was missing was in the jacket pocket of uh, his father's uh, uh, coat, you know? And I kept missing it until I went detective vision and I just slowly scanned around and then I found it. But then going back to replay the mission because I, after playing the first mission, I wanted to do a uh, Let's Play series on it, but it just didn't want to record well just because of a uh, a uh, blurry effect that they do whenever they talk, uh, whenever they talk to characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just made the video very blocky and noisy and I just... Uh, I have some standards for my content. <laughs> right. Uh, but going back, I was able to find the note on my own. So, you know, it's a hint of where to go instead of, you know, you have to use this. You have to do this. And opening up a, a Sherlock Holmes games to be a Sherlock Holmes game, I should say, to be more open-ended and uh, allow you to make wrong choices and wrong deductions uh, makes it a lot more accessible to, uh, uh, in my opinion. Uh, while you, uh, When you first meet uh, Tom, uh, the little boy, uh, you're also introduced to uh, the detective reasoning mode where you look at the character and you look at individual parts of them or, or, or their clothing, of their uh, body, of, of how they stand, and you try to get a character portrait of that character. So some of them are just gimmies, you know. Uh, his pale skin uh, uh, indicates that he's malnourished. Uh, and you see a uh, 
a pendant around his neck that has his uh, date of birth. Well, then you uh, deduce, well, he's eight years old. But then there's some that are less so. Like, you look at his eyes, and they're puffy and uh, red, and you have a choice between he's been crying recently or he is sick. Well, you were told that he was crying recently, so there you go. He was crying. But then the other one for that particular character is his uh, his left hand. Uh, the wrist is very uh, uh, narrow, and the hand is a little bit longer uh, than it should be. You know, and you have an option of, well, he's been injured, or uh, it's a birth defect. And you could uh, deduce a little bit on your own. Well, he was uh, he's malnourished. And he's a a peasant. So a birth defect is the more likely cause, especially since he has no indication on his clothing that he has uh, suffered a recent injury and his uh, clothing is well uh, tended. So it's little things like that, but you can still make the wrong choice and it gives you an incomplete picture, which makes the overall case more difficult. And And this deductive reasoning also plays into the deduction web, as you uh, complete the case, you get little pieces of clues uh, to put together, you know, the classic spider web of, you know, uh, uh, links to try to solve the case. All the red strings. Yeah. Uh, a matter of fact, in his apartment, there's the red strings on, on the wall. Oh. <laughs> that is both... Uh, no, that is amazing and cliche. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Sherlock yeah. Holmes, so it's both. Yeah. Uh, but as you uh, make choices, some of them are gimmies as well there, but also you could uh, uh, draw the wrong conclusions based on what info you have at the time, but you could go back and change up until the very end. But it's a very, at least in the initial case, a, uh, a very, you know, one way or the other. If, it doesn't lead to one conclusion. It has to lead to the other. I'm not sure if the other cases later on will be, you know, uh, one of three choices or one of four. And I don't want to give away the first case because it's still you know, a fairly good chunk of content. But it's a very fun ride overall. And also the game uh, goes through a lot of different game styles. You have your walking around, you know, investigating. But then you also have stealth sections, which actually aren't that bad. The game is very forgiving, at least on the uh, on the easy difficulty. It, you have the option to skip a sequence if you fail it too many times. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, basically you're, uh, or uh, a puzzle segment uh, you're allowed to skip on the easy difficulty or just, you know, uh, work on it yourself. Which, you know, if you skip too many of them, you know, it's going to make it for a very short game. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you have a uh, you know a stealth section. Uh, you have a uh, uh, an action chase sequence. Uh, you have a, a stealth chase sequence. Uh, trying to think of what else you have uh, a, a time that you're uh, picking locks. You uh, do a little bit of chemistry to uh, get a clue. So yeah, there's a lot of things that they do to change things up very often. So things don't get too dull, you know, too uh, uh, repetitive in the game. 
and the fact that you also change characters every so often. Like, uh, at one point, you uh, take control of Wiggins, who is the leader of the Baker Street uh, Irregulars. And I can almost see the uh, blank expression on uh, Jared's face right now. That is the uh, uh, the uh, uh, street urchin group that uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, uh, employed from time to time. Uh, in the modern uh, interpretations, it's usually homeless people. But uh, in the original uh, stories, it was typically homeless boys or uh, very poor boys who were out on the street uh, uh, doing odd jobs to try to uh, get a little bit of money for their families, if they had families. Okay. So, gotcha. Uh, so the fact that you know, they actually put them in instead of you know, uh, modernizing that is nice. They uh, do skip the whole, you know, uh, uh, Sherlock is a, a drug addict whenever he's not working uh, thing, but, you know... Uh, ratings, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Like, more, you know, people that are closer to my age or younger playing this mm -hmm. would probably wouldn't know that. Because I don't think that's portrayed in the modern movies with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, and Sherlock. Yeah, Sherlock is very whitewashed. I think he gets really drunk in one of them. But that's it. Yeah, and well, in uh, the BBC series, he does uh, take drugs. Yeah, but you know that that because that's a one-off thing for that particular series, or I should say, you know, it's only contained in that series, and it's not it's not shown in any of the other interpretations. People may think, well, that's the BBC's interpretation. No, he he was a heroin addict. He he did opium. He uh, experimented with a lot of drugs to try to you know. Uh, keep from being bored. Mm -hmm. But the game is uh, rated mixed, and I do agree with that at its full price for $50 still. I got it for a pretty steep discount, even if you don't consider the $5 uh, credit from the Steam store. Uh, graphically, it's uh, it's a fairly pretty game. For some reason, everybody sweats all the time, but then again, London, right? Yeah. I will say that uh, because it's running, I believe it's running the Unreal Engine, it greatly is affected by how fast your hard drive is. Uh, when I had it on my data drive, because it's a little bit on the ancient side, I was noticing a lot of texture streaming, a lot of pop-in. But when I moved it to my SSD, that pretty much all went away. There was still the odd you know, item here or there popping up, but it's not nearly as bad. But graphically, it's... You know, pretty sound and it runs really well it's really well optimized uh the, the fact that uh, they've gone for uh, some pretty good voice acting as well is uh you know very nice <laughs> because that's the other thing is that you know uh, sherlock holmes could be a little bit stiff and a little bit off-putting if he's uh, voiced incorrectly but uh he's still a kind of an ass but he's a uh, charming one when he wants to be in this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's nice. And it does have the a good relationship between him and Watson, at least so far in the one case I've completed. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else in particular without really going into story spoilers, because, like I said, I only played the one case so far. And a little bit of the second, to, and I realized that it, they weren't connected. So, yeah. Uh, any questions? I don't think so. I 
I really like the sound of lots of stuff in this game because it's basically taking Sherlock Holmes as more like the original stories were written as an anthology. Yeah. So somewhat connected yeah, by I think some of the similar one of the, characters. I think one things, of the cases but... is uh, connected to the previous game in the series, but that's yeah the the lone thing and supposedly you could make sense of what's going on without it, but it makes more sense with it because I did research that to try to figure out if I want to, you know, just hold off and get the other one because it didn't go on uh, as deep a discount or actually it didn't go on sale at all. So I was a little off put by that. Yeah. You don't want to spend all your money on a sale on games that aren't on sale, right? Yeah, definitely not. Um, Also, I like the idea that there are each of the, stories episodes however you want to look at it is like you said they were around two hours yeah at least the first one was and it seemed like the second one was going to be about that long based on the pacing that was uh, seen so far yeah i hope that is a a trend that lasts the whole game because that's really perfect for lots of people to sit down and have that you know play through one story at a time as time allows, because I'm always looking for games that I can enjoy in a short period of time just because of, you know, having less less time, particularly throughout the week, to dedicate to games, you know. Yeah, and, an I w- uh, and uh, some of the tags on this actually uh, list horror and psychological horror. I would give it psychological horror because there are, uh, you know, that elements in the Sherlock Holmes series. So, yeah, I definitely could see that, especially if they go with some of the stories that I think they may be going with here. Yeah. Oh, and uh, there's one other system in this that, uh, once again, completely skippable on the uh, easy uh, difficulty, is uh, the research system. Is that you're given a piece of information, and you have to go to uh, Sherlock's Ar- uh, Holmes archives and try to figure out where that information would be. And you know, you uh, maybe you know. Uh, a flag and I'm just pulling that one completely random. That's not one of the clues. Well, you may have to go, okay, uh, where would that be? That would be in reference material. So go over there and start looking at the titles and try to figure it out. Once again, you can skip it if you want, but honestly, I found it you know, kind of enjoyable just to, yeah, for one, see some of the random shit that he had, <laughs> because that's part of the point of Sherlock Holmes is that, when he gets bored, he either uh, gets doped up or he starts researching random things. As a matter of fact, uh, you, you've watched the BBC Sherlock, right? Uh, I have seen a couple well, of well, episodes. Okay, I'm well, then, the you, then you probably saw uh, him talking about uh, him uh, doing a research paper on the uh, different types of ashes uh, from uh, cigarettes and, uh, and uh, pipes or cigarettes and cigars. Yeah, that's... That sounds familiar? Yes, that does sound familiar. Oh, that's familiar. actually a reference to the books, and that's in the, his apartment. Yeah, there's little nods uh, to uh, the actual canon stories here and there that I really appreciated. But it gives you an idea of uh, yeah, some of the random things that would be in his archives to uh, try to sort through. Once again, completely skippable. Most of the uh, actual puzzle elements are skippable and even the action elements if you fail too many times have an option to skip on the easy difficulty i'm not sure how it affects the overall story if it does at all but if it doesn't then you know it does add a a lot of accessibility to a sherlock holmes game that really wasn't there before because i remember getting stuck on the very like 
first area of the last Sherlock Holmes game I played because it required, I actually looked it up later. You had to move the body. Then you had to go get a shovel and dig under the body for a a, a clue there. And it was kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I uh, next time it goes on sale, I'll pick it up. Yeah, I would say it's well worth. Especially play. if it goes on sale again for something like seven bucks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd I would say it's very happy. I say that. sub ten dollars. It's a steal, and I'm not sure. Uh, a lot of the uh, the downloads here are mostly uh, talking about uh, the short length. It looks like I didn't have any problems with crashes. I did have, uh, yeah, like I said, some texture streaming, but that's just. Yeah, it looks like there's only four cases according to this. So, but yeah, even still, four cases at uh, two hours each. Yeah, That's... I mean, eight hours is pretty perfect for like for me. So, yeah, I'm very very happy. Yeah, there's a couple of the mini games that uh, require outside knowledge, but once again, you can skip them, or you know, it, you could try and error them because if you fail, it just puts you right back there. Yeah. But usually they're pretty common sense if it requires outside knowledge. The the one odd one was how to shine shoes with a, 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 a 1800s uh, era uh, shoe shine kit. But failing that, it just made it so that you couldn't uh, fail anything else in that sequence. So even you know, a failure on something as major as that isn't an automatic failure, which is nice. So, do you want to go ahead and do Yakuza, or do you want me to uh, to do one of mine? Go ahead and do one of yours, so I can take a little bit of a break. Okay. Yeah, that's the main reason I asked. Um, Alright, so the first one on my list is Frontier Pilot Simulator. So this is a uh, sci-fi f- pseudo-flight simulator game. Um, it's not full-blown with, Oh, like, that looks like a plane, not a pseudo. <laughs> Touche. But it's not full-blown with, like, aha, I'm going to sit in a cockpit full of instruments and, you know, turn all the knobs and flip all the switches. But it does try to shoot for some fairly realistic aircraft control uh, and things like wind currents and drafts and things like that affecting your flight path. Um, And needing to be gentle with takeoffs and landings and making sure, you know, having to balance fuel versus your load weight and things like that. Um so, what this is, or the reason I got this game, I picked this up during the uh, Chinese New Year sale as well for, I believe it was 15 or $17. It wasn't as great of a sale price, but I hadn't been looking to buy it anyways, um, because I, I want more games that I can use my Hotas with. Gesundheit. Because basically, basically right now it's just Elite Dangerous and MechWarrior Online and... Those are the only two games I've used it with. I think I've got a couple others that are compatible, but I've never actually went to set it up. So, um, you know, I, I just did some double-checking, and everyone says, yeah, it worked great with Hope. You know, most Hotas setups, you don't have to worry about compatibility or anything. So I got it uh, and and dove into it. Um, and there's a, for this game being early access, I don't know if it's supposed to be an alpha or beta at this point currently, Um it, it definitely is still fairly early in development. Like, if they just dumped the game right now and were like, oh, it's it's released, that would be very sad. 
uh, and upsetting. Although, you know, that's kind of the gamble you play with early access anyways. But um, it seems like they've got a pretty long development roadmap set up for this. But it, most, if not all, of the core systems are in play. Uh, you are essentially um, transporting cargo and passengers around on a recently, fairly recently colonized world. Um, and you're earning uh, money to upgrade your planes or your aircraft. They're, one of them is basically just controls purely 100% like a helicopter. It's a VTOL, but it has no uh, alternative flight mode. Like you can't switch into just a regular plane, whereas the other two aircraft do. They all behave as VTOLs, um, but the other two aircraft are designed for larger, longer haul jobs. So you can switch to just a standard aircraft mode to get much, much better fuel consumption and utilize, you know, lift uh, from the wings. But there's a, a fairly basic economy system in the game, a fairly basic upgrade system um, with different trade-offs you can get for things you can upgrade on your craft. For example, you know, more engine power versus more fuel consumption or lighter weight parts, but they are less durable so if you have an accident and crash into something you know you'll take more damage things like that so it's not just straight up you know upgrades of everything there's some things you can choose along that uh the world is fairly expansive uh i'm not quite sure how big it is i'm sure it says somewhere if you went and dug through the material but it's at least several hundred uh square kilometers to fly through um, it, at least the parts that I've unlocked. I'm not sure if I've got the whole map unlocked or not yet because I can scroll farther than what I can see on the map, but I don't know if it's just ocean. Uh, you're in a sort of island chain. Uh, archipelago. Drops you, yeah, an archipelago. The, the game drops you out uh, on like a very small island in the very north and you get the very tiny plane or the, the very tiny VTOL that, you know, strictly that with no alternative flying mode and it's like okay uh make some money and get the bigger plane and you spend uh, two or three hours on that island learning how to fly and uh getting enough money to upgrade to the first large aircraft which is called the ox the first one's called the scarab the second one's called the ox and then that one has enough uh fuel to make it from the small island out to the air quotes mainland I guess the the much larger island, but there's uh, several different sections of it as well, and another couple of smaller islands that I can see. So the game world is very large. Uh, the economy fairly sort of standard. Uh, buy low, sell high. There are missions you can run. So instead of having to purchase cargo to trade, you're given some cargo and just told to deliver it for a fixed payout. Um, that's less. Uh, you make less, but there's no sort of risk involved of like, well, if the price changes where I'm going before I get there, then I won't lose any money or, you know, wouldn't make as much or whatever, you know, so it's fixed prices, passenger deliveries. There's multiple types of missions for that. They're standard. Hey, I need to get to, you know, this place. Can you get me there? And then there's multiple like round trips, like a scientist needs to go to collect samples from wherever, deliver them out there to collect samples and then bring them back. There are, tourist missions where that you can take people out to see sites and 
you know, they'll, they might want you to land and get out and explore, or they might just want to fly by. So different things you can do with that. Um, and then there's a sort of, I think, story mission. The game doesn't really have a tutorial. It's got a set of missions that sort of introduce you to the basic mechanics, but it's like, hey, press F1 to bring up the help menu for what to do. Your first mission is deliver some cargo, and then your second mission is deliver a passenger, and then it's like, buy an upgrade for your craft, and then buy the next plane. Just that sort of stuff. That's probably the biggest complaint I have about the whole game, is there's not enough information on things. Uh, you know, it it leaves you to figure everything out on your own. They've talked about adding a more full, fleshed-out tutorial down the line, but at this point, aside from the basic missions, you kind of have to figure stuff out on your own. The upgrade system, some of it's pretty straightforward, like, you know, an engine upgrade that's 50% more power, 20% more fuel consumption, or something like that. But there are some things that I still don't know what they mean, and I've played the game for, like, six hours or so. It's like cargo upgrade, uh, you know, minus 1750 something. I forget what it, what it is, but I don't know what it is exactly. I think it makes it so that your cargo is less likely to be damaged if you have a crash or make hygiene maneuvers, but I haven't tested that out yet because you're cut. You're the biggest thing is you're constantly balancing weight and fuel consumption because, um, fuel has weight just like your cargo does. So, um, and then adding weight to the overall craft, even though you're technically your payload capacity stays the same, the heavier you make your craft, the more thrust you need to take off from the, uh, from a vertical takeoff. There are runways you can use and you can take off more like a standard plane and rely on the lift from your wings. But there's only a few places that those exist. Most of these are, you know, small outposts or, uh, bases or things like that. So you're going to be coming in for vertical landings a lot. So you, you have to be able to, to balance that, uh, you know, appropriately and effectively to not crash. Um, the game seems to be pretty forgiving on that. I mean, if you crash, uh, there's like an escape pod that comes out and it flies you to the nearest, uh, base, like full base, not like a little outpost or something. It'll take you to the nearest, like major base or trade hub or whatever, um, and you get a new plane that's exactly like the one that you lost and you just have to pay an insurance premium for it. But the starter aircraft is only a few hundred bucks to replace it <laughs> with the insurance. The one that I have right now, which is the Ox, is only a couple of thousand. And the game never punishes you if you go below zero. So if you go into negative money, um, it will just let you do all of the basic stuff and you start just, just running IOUs. Yeah, you just write a lot of IOUs. So you're never going to be in a position where it's like, well, shit, I fucked up and I'm out of money. I can't fuel up. I guess I'm going to have to sell and go back to the basic ship or restart or something. It'll just let you go into the negative on stuff like that. Um, which, you know, you'll have to get back into the positives before you can do upgrades or whatever. But at least it's not punishing. It's very forgiving in that way, which I appreciate because in the beginning... When I was especially trying to work out the HOTAS controls. So, I mean, the default bind, uh, bindings are terrible, obviously. They always are. Um, and then it took me like an hour to get it set up properly. And during that time, I probably crashed a dozen times and went way into the negative at the very beginning. Um, it, 
it, again, it doesn't explain things very well to you. So you go in the menu and it's like general flight characteristics, flight mode one, flight mode two. And it doesn't tell you that the first plane doesn't have two flight modes. It only has the, uh, what the game refers to as jetpack mode, but I think it should be called helicopter control or VTOL control or something like that. But, you know, where you're not utilizing any lifting force from your wings or anything like that, just relying 100% on your craft's uh, thrust to keep you up. But it took me a while to figure that out because I'm like, I'm pushing the key binding to do the the change and it's not changing and some of the other things weren't working either until i figured out like what buttons it was calling versus what my uh, joystick or my throttle actually had the buttons labeled as and then i figured out like oh the first plane doesn't have a transform mode and well, time i still to don't know what f- i still don't know what flight mode one and two are honestly but the general flight controls i spent just a little bit of time tweaking those so that basically flight mode one uses one set of controls and flight mode two uses a different one, um, just because I have enough buttons and sticks and knobs on my on my HOTAS. <coughs> that way, nothing ever repeats. So, I got that all sorted out. Um, let's see, other things, good or bad. The performance of the game, I at first was great. Um, I was having no problems running this at near max settings at over 60 fps on the starter island but once you get to the mainland there are a lot of mountains volcanoes (coughs) and um very thick clouds and the performance very quickly tanks so now it even with lots of stuff minimized or turned as low as it'll go it struggles to stay close to 60 so that's something that they definitely need to work on um, and again, that's one of those things that are like, oh, it's in beta, we're working on it. So fingers crossed they do. Their last major thing that they did was redesign the HUD. So ha- I haven't seen the old HUD. The new the new HUD it has got lots of more information on it, and it's cleaner and more organized. So, um, you know, whatever they did, everyone in the community is like, oh, this is great. Thank you so much. Um, but it's it's very enjoyable. Uh, the things that really I think it needs the most, more information, better performance optimization, and then some idea of direction for what to do um, beyond just like, hey, fly your plane around, check out all this cool stuff, and make some money. Because that's fine for now, but there's only one more plane bigger than the one that I have. I forget what it's called. Um, but it's not that much money. It's like 125,000 credits to get the next one and then probably another 100,000 to get a bunch of upgrades for it to make it the way that I want it. And it doesn't take that long to make that much money um, once you kind of get the hang of what you're doing. Um, so some either some kind of story or something that encourages you to explore the map more or something like that would definitely be needed going forward, I think, for this to be more than just a novelty um, but for that purpose right now, it, it serves it very well. It, I wanted something that used my HOTAS. Um, Soon tight. it's got, it's an interesting premise. I like the idea. The general implementation is very solid. Um, and as something that if they add a few more features, make sure and, and optimize the performance and then tweak a few other small things, like it would be nice to be able to 
change the cosmetics of your plane. Different upgrades have, or, or different uh, upgrades or parts that you can get for your plane have different colors um, or designs. And so you wind up with this mismatch looking plane, which might not bother some people, but that kind of bothers me. I like things to at least be all nice and uniform. It doesn't necessarily have to be like flashy, but it bothers me. It's like, oh, this, you know, the front engines are red and the black engine or the back engines are black. Uh, and, you know, the additional uh, battery I added so that I could have uh, more, you know, power is uh, blue and the plane itself is gray. And it's like that kind of bugs me a little bit. But otherwise, I mean, it's got a lot going for it. It, I guess the one thing I haven't really talked about is the plane's handling, which this game would be impossible to play with keyboard and mouse, full stop. Um, they recommend a controller, but everyone complains when using controller that you don't have what's called, in the referred to in the game, as constant thrust. It's basically if you use either the uh, one of the thumbsticks or the triggers as your throttle, it's on or off. And that's all you get, and people, you know, have to feather it or use what's called constant thrust mode, which, like, locks it in place. And with a HOTAS, I mean, you don't have to worry about that because you have full throttle control on the throttle. Oh, it's a shame that uh, controllers don't have an analog control anywhere, huh? (laughs) Yes, but you you need both sticks uh, to, and potentially the triggers as well, depending on how you like it set up, to control all of the flight control services. Because, you know, you've got pitch, yaw, roll, um, strafe, because, you know, you have a lot of vertical flying, and then you have to have forward and back uh, for when you're in vertical flight mode or helicopter mode or whatever you want to call it. Like, you have to be able to control all of those things, and it you need would need both sticks to do it. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got, uh, what are they called, like the little paddles for yaw, and then I've got a second joystick on my throttle that I use for some stuff. And then I've got the main uh, stick, the main flight stick, which I use for the most of the aircraft control of the control surfaces. So, I mean, like, I couldn't imagine using, like, my Xbox controller for that. Because it, it just don't feel like there's enough analog control surfaces to adequately control the craft. At least with that attitude. But, or altitude. I... I suppose you could pull it off if you were either just brave enough or got good enough at it. But, I mean, some of the weather is horrendous. But, like, in a way that makes it challenging to come in for landings at certain bases or from certain approaches. Or, I mean, there are active volcanoes around and, you know, you might need to avoid those sort of last minute or something like that. Like, the amount of... Uh, precision maneuvers you need to do to get around most of the flying in the game that's what makes it so interesting and you really need analog controls for all those surfaces just on or off it makes it very twitchy and difficult to work with so I, I don't know I mean there's obviously there's plenty of people who do it it's all in the discussion forums on Steam people talking about the best ways to optimize if you've got a PS4 controller or an Xbox controller or a Steam controller I wonder if uh, my situation would be a bit better to have the chat pad. That might help, because then you could have some stuff on the pad to use, uh, you know, keyboard input for some things. But, and then there's like a small group of people who are like, I've got a HOTAS and I don't have any of these problems. (laughs) And like, I'm in that group, like, like we were talking about earlier before we started recording. Oh, yes, the peasants. 
with their controllers. But, uh, I mean, it's it's a really good well, game. Well, my controller's being fucked by a keyboard. <laughs> no, it's not a, even a it's a, for that one. No, I'm not, yeah. It's a novel, like, as a novelty, if you got it cheap enough, or if you just want something to play around with and you've got a hotas, perfect. Um, as, like, a full-fledged game, it still needs some work. And as long as it doesn't get abandoned, which at this rate, it doesn't seem like it's going to, but you never know. You know, as long as it doesn't get abandoned and they work on, you know, ironing out some of the stuff I mentioned, it'll be a great game that I could fully recommend at its full price, which is 25 bucks. So, yay. Hooray. So, your turn. Oh, oh it is? Okay. Indeed it is. Well, my next one, as you spoiled already, is Yakuza 0. This is the prequel to all the other Yakuza games. And, oh, what can I say? I absolutely love this game. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I love when you love things. Uh, do I have problems with it? Oh, yeah. But some of the things that I think people would have problems with, I actually really enjoy. I think this might be my favorite open world I've ever encountered. Okay. That's a bold statement. And I'm, uh, and I actually sat and I thought about this because the, the uh, Yakuza in general is like distraction the game. You know, you're off to do one thing. Oh, uh, well, you run into someone that's having a problem and uh, you hit a sub story. You do that. That leads to uh, this new little mini game that you didn't know about. So you'd go do that. And then, yo, at 45 minutes, an hour go by and you haven't even progressed in the main story like you planned to do at the very beginning. But that makes the world feel a lot more alive. That it's not all centered around you and swirling around you with you at the center. It gives the world a lot more life than, you know, the GTA series or, uh, yeah, pretty much any open world I've played. And it probably helps that it's a condensed world. Uh, the, at least I'm only in the uh, second chapter right now. The game is uh, divided into various chapters uh, as you progress through the main story. And I still only have one main area with a secondary area I can visit. And there's looks like there's a lot, room, uh, a lot of room to have additional open world areas. But, you know, these, uh, the main map that I have access to right now is the size of, I would say, a neighborhood in the GTA series, thereabouts. But it's all, you know, uh, uh, foot traffic. Uh, there are cars in the game, but they're fast travel. And that's it. You never drive. You're just walking everywhere. But, yeah, it's not going, uh, going across the map is, you know, a couple minutes at most. But because everything is so compact and uh, close together, it allows for the distractions to, well, for one, to pop up a lot more often, which may irritate some, but also makes it so that, you know, it feels like things are going on. It doesn't feel like it's, you know, uh, it doesn't feel like it's Oblivion or Skyrim where it's 50 square uh, kilometers of random backwoods of Europe with a couple peasants scattered about, and that's it. And maybe a dragon, if you're feeling lucky. It feels like the world makes a lot more sense because of it, because it's in a city. 
Right. Now, there, you do run into a lot of random combat, but honestly, a lot of it I accidentally triggered myself because uh, there's uh, two different things, and I haven't even gotten into the story yet. Uh, uh, the combat is probably the other thing I've seen people complain about, and I will say that the combat does take some getting used to. It reminds me a lot of Sleeping Dogs, actually, where it's a lot of uh, rhythm-based and momentum-based combat dealing with a usually uh, odds that are not in your favor. But the camera can be a bit of a chore at times, and I would say that's my biggest complaint about the game overall, is that sometimes, especially if you're fighting in a, uh, like an alley somewhere where it's a very tight corridor, the camera could get a little bit wonky, and that's about the worst thing I could say about this game. <laughs> well, that's not too bad. Uh, in combat, uh, you could switch between, well, at least as far as I've gotten so far, three different styles. You have a brawler style, which is, you know, uh, what you would expect, you know, a lot of very strong, but slow punches, uh, that combo together, uh, very effectively, very useful against single enemies or a slower moving enemies. Then you have a rush style, which is a, a less damage, but, uh, faster, uh, hits with a lot more dodging involved and a lot more ducking and weaving. Then you have animal mode where uh, instead of of, uh, just punching with your fist, you just grab random objects from the uh, environment and start swinging like bicycles and signs and that sort of thing at enemies. (laughs) Which which is great for groups if there's a lot of random things that you could pick up that you could see and you could switch between them on the fly or you could just pull out uh, your uh, weapon which could be anything from a uh, you know a uh, a model uh, pellet gun that you know they modified to be very powerful to a marlin, as in the fish, as in like the fish, yes, as in the fish okay. that happens to also be a cannon. <laughs> okay, um, which this game it has its serious moments, but it can also be wacky okay. as fuck, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, especially when you're doing some of the mini uh, uh, game stuff where you know, one of the things I ran into at one point uh, during the uh, night the other night was slot car racing. Something I don't usually see in games. And uh, this guy, your character, uh, Kairu, really gets into it. <laughs> He's like, little model cars that you can put in your pocket and race? What would they think of next? <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> and whenever you start a race, he, uh, you know, is talking to his car and then he holds it up to the camera <laughs> and, uh, you know, shouts the name of the car. <laughs> you know, just can't fall over the place <laughs> at times. But it's great when it does that because, you know, it breaks up the more serious moments of the main storyline. So I really appreciate that. And th- let's see, there's slot car racing, there's. Uh, a bowling alley that you could go bowling in. Uh, fortunately, without your cousin. Uh, you could go to the bar and shoot pool. Uh, like four different types of uh, games of pool. Or uh, play darts. Which has like two or three different modes there. Uh, go to the batting cages. Go to an arcade and play the claw machine. <laughs> to get random things. Which I'm not sure what the prizes uh, do just yet out of that. Uh, play uh, some old retro Sega classics, like uh, Sega arcade classics, uh, like uh, 
uh, Outrun, for example. Uh, you know, just so many th- things to do that it's very easy to get lost. And then you can uh, run into the sad stories, which I mentioned before, which could be more serious or just wacky. Like one that I ran into, I, I don't want to spoil too much about the story. Uh, well, I'm not too far into the story, but some of the sad stories are really interesting. Like uh, one of them I ran into, I was uh, doing uh, the main story and I had to go to a particular convenience store to get an item there. Which, you know, there's stores all over the place. There's different eateries to go to to refill your health. Uh, some of them uh, are better to refill your health than others. Uh, some you could uh, get takeout food to carry with you to eat on the run <laughs> uh, to refill your health. Uh, but I was going to this convenience store to uh, get an item for the main quest. And there was a kid there uh, uh, with an exclamation point uh, on his, uh, over on the uh, minimap. So that indicates a submission of some sort. Well, I'll talk to him, and he talks about this video game that's coming out. This is set in the uh, late uh, 80s in Japan. And, yeah, and and Karu's like, well, people are lining up for a video game. Well, uh, uh, pretty much everything is like, what will they think of next, right, <laughs> for him? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah pe- uh, people uh, have been there all day waiting for the store to open up to sell you know, a few copies that they have of this particular game. Well, you go in and I uh, got the thing I was there for, not the video game, uh, come out and this kid is, uh, you know, sitting there crying. Uh, someone, uh, uh, bugged him and took the game. All right. Well, he says, well, it looked like they went that way, mister. So, you know, go down the alley, find the guy that, uh, uh, uh bugged the kid, beat the ever living snot out of him. Turns out as you get there, there was a cutscene, and uh, there was another guy that ran off. He got mugged, and now I have to chase him. <laughs> and and, and the, the and the first kid, uh, a high school student, was talking about, oh, man, I bet that guy won't even love the game. He's not a collector like me. And, you know, Kyra's like, you're whining about losing the game that you stole in the first place? <laughs> so, chase uh, the, uh, the punk. He gets robbed by a Yakuza guy. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, Chase the Yakuza guy, and uh, it turns out uh, that the... Oh, and I had to beat up the punk as well. Then I had to beat up the Yakuza guy, of course, right? (laughs) Right. Well, it turns out... I'm going to spoil the one sub-story. He was stealing the uh, video game for his son because uh, him uh, and his wife got divorced, and he's rarely able to see his son, and they bond over video games. Uh, and yeah, you know, he was talking about well that other guy. He he's not even a collector. He wouldn't even enjoy it when yeah you know, the other one was talking about it for the first one. The first one was talking about about the kid. <laughs> well, the kid shows up and he's like, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and and before this, you're laying this huge guilt trip on him, talking about well. Uh, you're taking uh, uh, this to uh, make your son happy, but you took it from a kid that saved up his allowance for uh, months to be able to buy this game on his own. And he's like, oh man, I'm such a dick. <laughs> Essentially. And then it's the kid's Yeah. Name. That's great. And he's like, well, why don't you get me to buy it for you? And it's like, well, mom doesn't like it when you buy me things. She says that it's dirty money that, you know, it's not good for me to... Uh, uh, it's good for me to learn the price of the uh, of things, essentially. So they go off and bond uh, over uh, the new video game. 
And that's one of the uh, little sub stories. <laughs> and, and it's things like that that makes me just fall in love with this open world where uh, there's a hundred different uh, stories in this, well, at least in the game. I'm not sure if it's in this particular city or if it's spread out between this and another open area. But, you know, it's little things like that that's a little break from the more serious crime drama that the main story uh, entails. Where you are essentially uh, framed for a murder and you're trying to clear yourself to protect uh, your mentor. You know, very serious stuff. But then you go dancing. <laughs> right? Or go do karaoke. Of course. That's another one. Of course, karaoke, right? The karaoke is actually a pretty uh, difficult um, rhythm game. Or at least uh, difficult for me. It's probably one of those things that, you know, you sit down and learn and then you're able to do it pretty flawlessly. But, you know, it's just uh, all the little things about this game that really made me appreciate it. And plus the fact that, you know, it's a lot of neon. Uh, it doesn't have the uh, atmosphere that the that Sleeping Dogs could have at times where, you know, just after it rained and everything had that soft glow around it. I hadn't had that, mm -hmm. but... Uh, the game is definitely not ugly. It's actually a very good-looking open-world game. I've had some uh, uh, streaming issues where it's just, you know, th there's a little bit of pop-in that's noticeable for me, but it's not a game-breaker. But then, you know, you have uh, uh, just things that go on in the world that uh, just kind of breathes new life into it. Like, you run into this guy that is a shakedown artist that, uh, basically beats up people for money. So until you uh, level up, essentially put money into yourself to learn new techniques and new uh, ways to defend yourself, you have to avoid this guy. Otherwise he's going to shake you down and take all your money, but it's pretty slow walking. So you're able to see him coming and he's, uh, you know, this absolutely mountain of a man. <laughs> he, he stands over everyone. So it, if you don't see him, you pretty much just wasn't looking in that direction. Uh, you run into people that uh, teach you techniques. You uh, uh, run into just... Uh, there's another sub-story that I'm in the middle of right now that there's a cop that is constantly stopping me to check my pockets to make sure I'm not carrying anything dangerous. So I just hand him a, a, a package of tissues. Like, no, this is all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that I have a, enough fast food in my pockets to have a White House dinner. hey <laughs> Little political joke there. Uh, but overall, it controls pretty well. Uh, it's definitely, you need to break the habit of button mashing. It's, uh, it, like I said, it reminds me a bit of the uh, of uh, Sleeping Dogs, which had the Arkham-style combat, where if you button mashed, uh, you got locked into a combo of doing things, and you know, it made it so that it would be awfully painful for you. You need to... Uh, almost have a rhythm game aspect of uh, finding your openings, uh, hitting people, uh, finding uh, the particular combos that work best for particular types of enemies. Uh, if you are running low on money, you could basically go around and start bumping into people to try to instigate fights. <laughs> or maybe there's going to be some sort of betting later on. There's, uh, I would say I've ran into at least a dozen different mini games already <clears throat> at, at, at like five hours in. There's just so much to do in this. It's really impressed me. Obviously, right? Yeah. And this is a game series that I never really was able to get to play because I've uh, I pretty much transitioned completely from uh, consoles by this point. It, this was originally... Well, I should say the series because uh, 
it was originally on the PlayStation 2, and I I played a little bit on PlayStation 2, but not much. And, yeah, uh, this was one of those games, I think, only really uh, got a uh, following in the West later in the uh, in the console's life cycle, if I recall correctly. I don't think Yakuza was too big in uh, uh, the U.S., uh, at least on launch. And it wasn't until much later that it became a lot more popular. Yeah. I've always wanted to play the Yakuza games, and I I haven't ever been. Well, I found out that this was a prequel to everything, so it seemed like a good place to, yo, this was the most expensive thing I picked up on the uh, the winter sale. But if you want, it's also on the Humble Monthly uh, Bundle right now. That's nice. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's really impressive so far. I'm trying to think of uh, anything else really going on. I don't want to go too much into story. For one, I'm not too far in. Uh, but you're essentially uh, framed for a murder. And it's revolving around this little plot of land uh, that's called the Empty Lot. Which, because it's Japan, uh, for those who don't know the cultural uh, problems of uh, land there, is that... Uh, land in the cities is usually very, very tough to come by. <laughs> and uh, the different <clears throat> clans of the Yakuza, this is explained pretty early on, so I don't mind uh, spoiling this, uh, have been buying up all the little bars and little places of business to try to consolidate it into a larger plot of land to be able to sell for a higher value. Well, they're all doing this in this one particular district of the city. And in smack in the middle of it is what's called uh, the vacant lot. Well, the vacant lot is uh, has this owner that has pretty much gone AWOL. Nobody knows who he is. And the mentor of uh, the uh, of the main character, Kairu, which is Diago Dojomia? I don't know. Uh, uh, basically, he saved Kairu and his friend from an orphanage. Uh, they uh, they were inspired by him to uh, join the Yakuza and uh, learn to fight uh, because of him. Well, because uh, Karu screwed up, uh, in sarcasm quotes there, because he was uh, framed, it comes down on the person that brought him into the organization. And... They think that they could pressure him to give some information about who owns this vacant lot. And whoever is able to get the lot is able to com- essentially complete their uh, their uh, plot of land. Think of it as like Monopoly, you know, that, it, but it's like a, a multicolored uh, piece of land that they all have to have <laughs> to complete the uh, thing. They're all looking for this last piece to be able to complete uh, a, a good chunk of land to be able to sell it all off. And whoever does that is going to bring in a lot of money into the organization is likely going to uh, climb the ladder in the organization. But because yeah, your mentor is uh, trying to hide this information uh, from the others, it puts him in a bond whenever you are uh, framed for this particular murder. And it's trying to uh, clear yourself, take the pressure off your mentor. And, uh, well... uh, who knows what else? Because yeah, you know, shit gets weird at times. I mean, things are already starting to throw some curveballs in the story. 
So I'm looking forward to see where it goes. And just it's a breath of fresh air to begin with because it's, you know, it's not a random American city or, or even a European city. You know, it has a different style to it. And because of that, it also is feels very fresh to me on top of feeling a lot more uh, lived in, a lot more living than a lot of open worlds. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, a lot of open worlds could take a serious look at Yakuza and learn some very important lessons here. Bigger is not always better. This is a very small map for, uh, by modern standards, I should say. But it has to be one of the best I've played. Well, I mean, I already wanted it, but I'm pretty much sold now. <laughs> Hearing you talk about a game this positively... Yeah, the, the yeah the, yeah the worst thing I have is a little bit of pop in, and that's because I'm running it on my data drive, not my SSD. It does have Denuvu, but uh, I believe they are pulling it out on the next patch. There's some uh, uh, rumors that the uh, EXE file uh, drops pretty significantly on uh, its uh, actual size, so that's an indication that they're pulling some of the DRM out of it. But it's run amazingly well i'm running it cranked all the way up and it's absolutely beautiful uh criticism uh that some people may have is that the game is not in english it's in subtitles partly due to just yeah, you know, it was a gamble to bring it on pc this was the first yakuza game on pc ever not counting emulation of course but it was cheaper to do this, but honestly, I think it adds to the feel because, you know, it feels like I'm watching a, you know, a, a proper Japanese uh, drama instead of there's that kind of disconnect whenever you're, you know, you see Japan and they're talking English, right? Without, without, yeah, you know, it being, you know, they're obviously meant to be speaking English. They're, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I do like it though the idea of it being in Japanese and subtitled. Yeah, it's uh, it, there's uh, different essential uh, essentially different levels of it. There's the full on cutscenes where you know it's uh, like the Steam Store page has a few of them where you know it's uh, highly uh, uh, detailed uh, modern cutscenes fully voice acted in Japanese with subtitles. Uh, then you have almost a visual novel-esque thing going on, but that's usually reserved for just before boss fights. Uh, then you have the traditional JRPG. And the traditional you know, JRPG uh, text box uh, usually are, it's just the text box and a few words that are voiced. Like, uh, there's one character that constantly says, yes. <laughs> but, you know, I don't have a problem with that because I'm pretty sure those characters weren't voiced anyway, so... Mm. Nice. And trying to think of anything else that would be a major complaint. <clears throat> and not really. I mean, the main thing it's going to be is that, you know, if, do you want to play Distraction the game? If so, then yeah, here you go. If if you want to have a more laser-focused, you know, oh, well, I just want to do the story and that's it. Well, this is definitely not the game for you because, oh, there's so much to do. And I, I'm pretty sure I, you know, I'm not even halfway through all the mini games because there's... Oh, there's so much. <laughs> but then again, one of my favorite GTA, or I should say my favorite GTA was San Andreas because of just how much content they had, you know, just how much you could go off and do on your own. Yeah. 
I mean, that makes sense. And I'm definitely interested, more interested than I was, like I said before. I'm 100% sold now, so. <laughs> yeah, it's rare to hear me talk this positively about a game. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's ever happened before. That's not true. I'm sure it has a few times, but. Well, well it's, it's sort of like, it's, it's, it's sort of like uh, Yachty talking positively about Portal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, well, there is then... also the grind, uh, but yeah, it's, it, yeah. You're off doing things, so yeah, you naturally get money, so that, it's not that big a deal. And as you level up, uh, I'm assuming that you know, there, uh, the amount of money you get pre- uh, goes up pretty quickly. Like Mr. Shakedown constantly has like six or seven million yen. So yeah, that's a pretty substantial chunk. So if I'm able to take him down regularly, that's going to really increase my money flow. Okay, now I'm done. I was trying to think of downsides, right. but you know, it's... It's like nitpicking at this point. Right. So the other game I have that's just mine this week uh, is Train Mechanic Simulator 2017. Can you guess why I got this game? Uh, Because you want to be a mechanic. No. For my kid. Um, This is not a very good game. I got it on sale for two dollars and some change during the uh chinese new year sale and uh i don't think it's really worth that this game has a lot of problems um it's extremely generic repetitive like it tries to sell itself like 75 story missions but really it's just 75 jobs that exist for you to fix trains or go find them and uh, if they're broken down and tow them back to the workshop or if they've crashed, use the little crane to pick them up and put them back on the tracks and then tow them back to the workshop. And the game goes back and forth whenever you're doing the repairs between being incredibly easy because like the job tells you exactly what you need to do. So you just go in there and it's like, boom, 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 fix these three things. Train's good. Or ridiculously tedious because it's not difficult but it's like yeah the train's broken uh figure out how to fix it so it's like okay i guess i'm gonna go examine everything and find all the broken parts and when the thing turns green and tells me i can turn in the job that means that i've fixed it so that's good i guess you're fixing felix yes except with more wrenches than hammers at least with that attitude I mean, the graphics are pretty good. Um, the system, the the actual driving your train around on the big overworld map, that's that's pretty okay. Um, there's some pretty neat sights to see. Like, there's a big castle you can drive past. Like, I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all within, like, 25... I think it's 25 square kilometers. There's, like, a desert and a mountain range and, like, an an Asian looking area with like cherry blossoms and like a fishing area. And there's like a snowy place and like a little mountain to climb. Like, it's just like, let's throw all of the different types of scenery in. Uh, but it's, it still looks pretty good. You can tool around the map pretty quickly and easily. Don't have to worry about things like your own train crashing. Like you don't have to worry about speed limits or anything. You can just, like, very clearly, it's like, oh, my God, if I went around this at, you know, 50 miles an hour, I very clearly would have derailed and 
crashed and died and exploded. But yeah, but you're not a quitter. (laughs) No, so your train stays on the tracks and you keep going. Um, I think Jim actually reviewed this game. Yeah, and he gave it a negative review (laughs) and spelled out a lot of the problems. But like, I saw this and I was like. For two bucks, my kid is going to love this, and it'll be something we can play together. And I mean, really, I think that at the end of the day, even if it doesn't say it, like, that's what this game is for, is for for a little bit of a distraction, either for your kids or for someone who is a train enthusiast and wants to get a little bit closer look at some trains. All of the trains are very generic. There's three or four different diesel engines, three or four different electric uh engines and then three or four different steam engines but you know you can look at them and be like ah yes i recognize this as looking like whatever type of train so you can see like uh, the mallard or the flying scotsman or something like that for the steam engines like this is very clearly like inspired by that but they were worried about some sort of potential copywriting issue or something for using names i don't know if that's a problem for these things, but it's like, you know, generic trains that are very clearly inspired by or, you know, look like more famous trains from history. Which is fine. And for, you know, like, to play it with my kid, he, you know, loves it and thinks it's amazing. Because it's like, alright, well, you know, like, the, you go to the different workshops and it's like, there's a list of jobs. And it's like, okay, which which job do you want, bud? And I'll tell him, like, what each of the jobs say. And he's like, oh, I want to pick that one so you know we'll pick a job and the train like rolls into the uh repair shop or you have to go get it depending on you know what the job specifies and then it'll be like all right it says you know this part's broken we need to find it where where's that part on the train buddy and he'll be like oh it's over there and like we'll go and it's like okay let's start examining the parts there are some things like visual clues to tell you which parts are likely to be damaged there's things like um Certain parts can be rusty or will physically appear broken or they'll be not necessarily rusty but discolored. Uh, And they don't always, like, I mean, if something is visibly broken, then obviously that's broken. But things that are discolored aren't necessarily always the part that's acting up. But you can get little bonuses if you fix extra parts uh, above a certain threshold that were maybe worn down but not completely broken or, you know, just slightly damaged. You get bonuses for coming in under budget for the job. It's You don't really have money to manage. I mean, you get some money for completing jobs that you use to just upgrade stuff at your workshop to basically give you improved tools or be able to, you know, inspect parts faster or disassemble faster or whatever. But, I mean, honestly, you can completely ignore all of that stuff and complete the game. No problem. It just might take a little bit longer. Or instead of being able to fix stuff, you might have to always replace it with new parts. So, I mean, you know, the benefit to actually upgrading this stuff is you can, you're more likely to come in under budget by repairing parts than replacing them, which, like I said, gives you a bonus, but you don't really need it. And some jobs you don't actually have to finish all the way. You can just, like, do enough, and I guess it's like, oh, that's enough. You've worked on this long enough, and you can just complete the job and, you know, get the pay, and you forfeit any bonuses, but it counts as a completion, so... And you just work your way through all the different contracts. We've done all of the diesel engine contracts, and we're halfway through the uh, electric engine ones. 
and then like we've seen some of the steam trains but he specifically wants to save the steam engine stuff for last and it it kind of starts out linearly but once you go through it'll bump you over to the the next contracts and let those open up and then once you do enough of the electric it'll open up the steam so it a little bit linear at first but then it sort of opens it up unless you just pick the jobs you want to do I mean, there's not really a lot to say about it. I guess if you do have problems with motion sickness and you're considering this, whenever you're like walking around the workshop, there's this constant head bob yeah. that you cannot turn off. Um, I typically don't suffer motion sickness, so for me, it's just kind of frustrating. When you're actually like examining the trains and working on them or driving around on the tracks, it doesn't happen. So. That's good, but if you do suffer from motion sickness in games or are more likely to get it, this would probably induce that because it's very exaggerated. Just this slow, very exaggerated, constant head bob that's frustrating. But otherwise, I haven't really had any performance issues. No dips below 60. I don't really know what there is to cause it to dip below that. There's not a lot going on, like I said. Um, pretty simple, clean graphics smooth lines things like that um no crashes that i've experienced so i mean it's it's not very good like you know unless you're in my situation where you have a kid that is into trains or you yourself are like a really big train enthusiast and you know you just like to feel like you're getting sort of into the nuts and bolts a little bit you know it's it's worth a couple of bucks for those reasons but if you're looking for some kind of train simulator game, play something else. This is not good for that. So, you know, I've played... Like, this isn't going to show up on, like, the worst games of 2019 or anything for me. But, I mean, it's not... It, it's not, like, horrendously bad. It's just not good. You know? It's, like, below average, I guess. is It's, it's unmemorable. So... Yeah, unless you fit the very specific couple of cases I just described. Just avoid it. So, yeah, that's the the last of the games we played individually. So now we've got the three games, the two that we did for two community nights, and then the one that you and I played together. So, what? let me get back over. Which one's first on the list? Uh, Borderlands for you and for me. So, Borderlands. Sweet. So, finally got me to play Borderlands, and I have to say, the opening of the game is kind of a slog, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we played it for, what, two and a half hours, uh, give or take like a little bit? Um, we both got to level 10, or 11, we did, like, several of the opening quests, we just got the catch a ride, which, that's where it starts to open up a little bit. No, it's just, uh, it was getting late, and I, I wasn't feeling it uh, this past week, so. Yeah. It's just, well, the thing I think is also that I've tried to play this game several times in the past. For those who have lived under a rock, uh, the Borderlands series is, uh, I would say, one of the more popular, if not the most popular, of uh, the first-person looter shooters. Unless you start getting to stuff uh, like Destiny. Yeah. But... I've tried going through this uh, sequence like three or four different times before this uh, with uh, different of my friends over the years. And I've always had a problem with uh, finding someone that actually meshes with me. 
because I tend to you know, go off and uh, shoot things or I like to send loot. Yeah. Or I had one friend that actually hacked his save file to uh, give himself a super weapon because, yeah, that's yeah, a lot I'm of not, fun. I'm not going to do any of that. Uh, yeah. One of the, oh, I can't even think of the first boss that you really, or the first boss level character, but he one shot it. Is it the dude that had like the two dogs or whatever? That guy? No, no. This was after that. The, the, oh, okay. The one, uh, well, I shouldn't say the first, but yeah, the first one that after he made the weapon, because he uh, hacked the save file to make a weapon that physically couldn't uh, work uh, in the game systems. Yeah, and it was just utterly stupid. Just in case anybody doesn't know, I mean, Borderlands is a first-person looter shooter. The original game came out in, what, like 2007, mm-hmm. 8, something like that. It originally released on Xbox 360 and PC, probably PS3, although I'm not 100% sure on that, but probably. Um, and it's a, a story-based uh, looter shooter. One of the first ones, I think, at least the first one that I can really think of. I mean, there had been other sort of loot-based games before, but when it came to first-person shooters, I couldn't think—I can't think of anything before Borderlands. Um, but you know, there's four distinct character classes. It's designed primarily to be played multiplayer with at least one friend. I mean, you can play through the game solo, but it's a lot less fun. I would um, say it's hardly it's any very... fun with uh, how the game is set up for some things. Yeah, it's got a very crude, crass sense of humor. Um, and a very distinct cell shaded art style, which holds up really well. Despite yeah, which actually was kind of stolen from a uh, animated movie that they saw, and they reworked the entire game to <laughs> emulate it. Well, that was a good decision on their part because um, the art style still really holds up. I mean, you know, the the original Borderlands, you're starting to see some cracks in it just because of the age and certain textures and things like that. But I mean, I, I went back and checked out Borderlands two a little bit as well like i mean i've played borderlands 2 off and on fairly recently within the last couple of years and it still holds up extremely well tales from the borderlands looked great um and i assume borderlands the pre-sequel looks really good too you know because they all stick with that art style and sort of upgrade things like the color palette and depth color depth and things like resolution that. So, of uh, textures yeah yeah texture resolution but Anyways, that's that's just the gist in case someone has somehow never heard of Borderlands, but you know, you never know. So yeah, you and I played it and I'm I hope I hope we'll go back and play it some yeah, more. I, just, I mean I enjoyed it. Yeah, I just it. wasn't feeling it that yeah, you know, this last week. It's just uh, I was uh, I was tired and grumpy to begin with. So Yeah. I think you and I I mean, you know, I don't know your previous play experience, but compared to the other people I've played Borderlands with in the past, I feel like you and I mesh pretty well. We've got distinct enough combat styles that we don't quite like spend all of our time like running over the top of each other and i'm just there to have fun so i don't care if you're like oh let's go over here well well, my combat style is to start yelling and punching things yelling and punch things and i tend to hang back more medium to long range it's like you're like oh punch all the things i'm like oh or or short range shotguns yeah so you know, I, I think, I mean, you yeah, and I mesh pretty yeah, well I play Brick. lots of stuff. We've, yeah, and I'm uh, playing, which he's what's his uh, name, Roland? Brick uh, as himself. And, uh, yeah, you're Roland. Yeah, the the soldier class. Yeah, which, uh, since we, uh, well, I played the, the second one, you know, I know uh, uh, whose future is a lot brighter. 
<laughs> yeah. Mine too. I've played through Borderlands 1 and 2 all the way to completion, so. And then I guess Tales from Borderlands as well, mm-hmm. which has a few references and things in there to the previous previous games. Yeah, it's a shame about uh, Tales from the Borderlands. We're never going to see what happened. Yeah. Um, not sure if there's a lot to say but, here, just because, you know, we're not that far into it, and it's also a game that, you know, over the years has been talked to death by everyone. Yeah. And that's fine. But it is something we played that I don't think we've ever talked about before, so. I don't, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add other than I'm looking forward to getting some more, more time in with you, buddy. Laughing more at you yelling. That was still funny. <laughs> By the end of the night, that was still funny. Just randomly, look, oh, I'm hurt. <laughs> I'm going to heal up. <laughs> yeah, that Brick's uh, special ability, he uh, flips the fuck out. <laughs> uh, and it gives him a bunch of uh, damage resistance and heals him. Yeah. Yeah, the first boss we encountered uh, pretty much just popped in and punched it in the face until it died. Yeah, you killed, like, the main boss extremely quickly, and then he had, like, two... Dogs. Sidekick dogs, and I got one of those, and then there were a bunch of, like, trash mobs in the room. Yeah, I think you were looking for the boss, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's dead over there. He's dead already. <laughs> yeah, Roland's thing is he drops uh, down a, a turret that has a little shield in front of it, and you most of his abilities modify the turret or turret to make it either more powerful or have effects like healing people in a vicinity of it or regenerating ammo, things like that. So he's kind of a mix of a support class. And then also, I mean, the turret is extremely powerful in combat over time. Yeah, I, yeah, like I played the soldier in Borderlands 2, and I had a problem with the turret that after a while it just was uh, terrible. It just got killed too uh, far too quickly. And it was never useful yeah. in boss fights at all. Yeah, I... The soldier is my favorite class to play if I'm playing solo. Just because the turret basically gives you, you know, distraction, fire support, back, you know, whatever. I do prefer the turret in Borderlands 2, though, because you throw it. Uh-huh. And in Borderlands 1, you just drop it at your feet, wherever you're standing. So, initially, I was, like, trying to throw my turret. I'm like, why is it not going? Oh, they must have changed that between the two games. Yeah, and, uh, so. yeah, and depending on the skills that you had... You'd have it where it would uh, stick to the wall or uh, uh, just uh, teleport out uh, real quick instead of being thrown uh, with a lot more range. You also, in Borderlands 2, you can get a second turret, whereas in the first one, the main upgrade is the... Oh, so you get more guns. More guns! Well, it's good uh, that he listened to the engineer. That don't work. (laughs) Use more gun. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't, I'm good. I don't have anything else to say. If you're good with Borderlands, we can move yeah, on. Yeah, I think so. Uh, to probably something that you have a lot more to say than me, because well, this was your first time playing Magicka. I don't like Magicka. Well, I, Magicka is one of those games that uh, it's very polarizing. And also, I never had it be this unstable. It's ha- I've had uh, stability problems with the past, but yo, I never had to act like this. Yeah, we played it for about t- two hours, and it crashed. Oh god, uh, eight or nine times during that time period. It crashed just about every time we loaded into a new. Yeah, level. someone crashed. Someone crashed. 
Uh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have hosted it, would... it. I'm not sure if it was me introducing the crashes or what, but I never had it act like that. But Magicka is uh, the premier wizard murder suicide uh, genocide uh, simulator. Uh, it's an ARPG where instead of having set spells, you have, what is it, eight different elements, and you mix and match and uh, create spells or uh, hit one of the uh, mega combinations and death happens. And sometimes it's even to the enemies. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that I do like about this game. Like, I like combining the spells. I like that whole system. That's a lot of fun to experiment and combo things. Yeah, it was a shame um, that it wasn't more stable for you to, uh, the other night. Because I think that I think that really wore on you. I like how there's a lot of a lot of uh, different character characters uh, yeah, character uh, classes. I don't know quite the way to say it, well, but well, like, they're for technically example, like skins, I was playing, but uh, they're yeah, uh, but they're non cosmetic skins. Yeah, no, they behave very differently. So I was playing as the space like a space marine from Warhammer 40k, and I mean it looks like a space marine. I made my mine pink because of course it's me. But, like, my thing was, like, my combat, or, like, the, the battle armor, or combat armor, or whatever, gave me huge resistances to multiple damage types. But, uh, and a heal over time, but I could not heal myself or be healed by other people. And also, it gave you a severe weakness to a couple uh, damage types. Yeah, and then it, it made me walk a little bit slower. And then I had a gun, um, and I forget what my staff ability was. A uh, uh, charge. Char- oh, yeah, right. Uh, as uh, in, you so put down just... your shoulder and charge at an enemy, and you could knock him back. Right. Yeah, my um, my ability was uh, I was the American uh, wizard. I had uh, my staff was the American flag, and when I used it, I pulled out a grenade and I chucked it. <laughs> and yep. uh, my weapon, of course, was a gun, and I shoot people. Your, your uh, weapon, yeah, wasn't it M sixteen? Yeah, yeah, it was a, a assault rifle, I believe, uh, on burst mode, uh, and yours was a gyrojet pistol. Yeah, and then uh, Ghost Shark played as uh, a Tron wizard. Yeah, his was weird. I never encountered that before. (laughs) So he had the light disc, which as his like weapon, which he threw, which was very powerful. Um, He could not be healed with healing spells. He healed with lightning attacks. Yeah, which was a a lot Uh, of fun because uh, you were weak to lightning. So if you got hit, I was weak to lightning. Yeah, so that was that was pretty wacky. I think we wound up killing each other a lot more than we healed him whenever we were trying to heal him. Well, the him. thing is that people were using just pure lightning, but uh, I found that if you mixed in the arcane uh, element, it created a beam, so it went arc to, other, pe- beam. Uh, to yeah. other people, and the healing was doing more than the damage from the uh, arcane. Yeah. And that's the that's what uh, the, uh, the gist of it is, is that mixing different things, like you throw a shield into the mix... You could throw down a bunch of mines, or you could uh, put a, a resistance on yourself, or you could actually enchant your weapon to do extra um, elemental damage. Yeah, there's like an earth spell, which if you use it by itself, you just like magically throw huge rocks, but you can combine it with fire to make f- giant fireballs. But there's you combine it, with- but there's also uh, unlike elements. So, for example, if you were shooting a fire beam and I shot a water beam, and we crossed the streams. They um explode. Yeah, 
a huge burst of explosion of steam, right? Uh, well, a uh, pure arcane energy, and it uh, yeah would probably insta kill you. Okay, but you could still do. You could make steam. You could use that to damage people. Oh, oh, fire and water is a bad example. I would say more like arcane and life is a good is a better example because those don't create a sub element. Right. Uh, but so, uh, I mean, but there's also had... a long chain of uh, elements that you could, uh, like the meteor storm was what like nine or ten different entries <laughs> to be able to trigger yeah. it, and it had to be but ex- that called out a massive meteor storm over the whole screen, which hurt everyone. Yeah, because friendly fire is permanently on. So I mean, the things that I really disliked about this game, if you took them away, would make it really boring, like. Constantly, I mean, we like I said, we killed each other more than enemies. Yeah, but us. also revives we were each very other. quick. Yeah, but like that constant, like oh, I'm doing something, no, I'm dead. Revive me, please. Just like constantly, like the constant chaos on the screen. Like, I I don't like that. But if you take it away, then one of the game's most unique and interesting qualities is gone. So it's like this weird catch twenty two. Well, also, a lot like, of I mean, that was. was uh, pe- uh, I think I was the only one that actually had played the game a fair amount. Yeah, I had never played yeah, it. Yeah, so people were using a lot of AoE abilities that was killing other people. And if you noticed, I was purposely staying away from everyone else. I mean, I was trying, but the fact that I couldn't heal myself, like, it was yeah, fine yeah, that was something else, up until that... Ghost Shark joined us. Because the thing that healed him, like we already said, was the thing that I was weak against. So if I kept accidentally getting caught in people trying to heal Ghost Shark... Um, yeah, which you and which you did cross my beam. stream a couple times. Yeah, I'd get hit by the beam or just like a regular lightning blast, which arcs across multiple targets, and then I would take massive damage, and then I couldn't heal, and then I would die. And then when you respawn, you respawn with a very small amount of health. You yeah, I think space. I think you would have enjoyed the game a lot more if you didn't take Space Marine. Yeah, but by the I just kind of stuck with it at that point because I'd kind of figured out what I was doing with Space Marine. I didn't want to swap. I mean, I'd be willing to try it again. Like, I would never in a million years play this game by myself or with a group of friends that wasn't, you know, like us, just that all get along and just, like, fuck with each other all the time. Yeah, um... Like, I couldn't play this with some of my friends <laughs> that are much more serious because everybody would get frustrated and mad and then they would just be miserable. But it was fun and wacky. Like, the time spent together was fine. But I didn't really like the game very much. And the crashing didn't help. Um... You know, I but I mean that's something that honestly was just like yeah, that, that like I know, said a, that was a, a weird cherry. thing that I never really seen happen before. Yeah, I, it's a shame you don't have the DLC because because I'm pretty sure you don't. Da, 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 I'm just double checking. No, you don't because I think you would really enjoy it. Magica, <laughs> Vietnam. Because okay. it's pretty much a take on every single you know, Vietnam era <laughs> movie with wizards. That's where I have the American wizard from. And it's just silly. Gotcha. I mean, if it was, you know, I'm, it gets, I'm sure it gets super cheap. I mean, I would get it. You know, Maybe, ha- maybe have you have seen if that it. helped. Because maybe it was just, you know, a quirk of my system because, you know, uh, computers always have different personalities, right? Yeah. So. Now, it's a shame that you didn't I mean, I pretty like much it. said uh, my piece about it. Uh, now, if it didn't have the crashing, uh, do you think you would have uh, 
uh, you know, you would have been able to put up with the, uh, you know, the constant deaths. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was, you know, I was having a good time with our, you know, group together. I mean, I was laughing my ass off at all the situations we got into. Like, like, you know, I didn't like the game, but I enjoyed the experience. And also it's full of references. Uh, unfortunately, you missed yeah. a fair a number of them because uh, a lot of them are in the uh, uh, cutscenes. You know, stay a while and listen, and I'll tell you a story. Uh, a story of... And the game kept crashing. Yeah, a, a story of uh, ghouls and goblins. Of... Uh, I'll try, try and remember the rest of the opening uh, sequence. But, you know, they reference like five different things immediately. Uh, yeah. uh, one of the last major fights we did uh, was uh, against the knights who said me, and they're constantly yelling shrubbery. Yeah, which that was, I mean, that was a very obvious reference and very funny, but. Or or killing yeah. the king or the, or, or the king killing the, uh, uh, the guy and, yeah, the obvious Darth Vader reference. Yeah. Or even before that, the James Bond reference. See, the, uh, this but. is the type of, uh, yeah, uh, reference heavy game that I don't mind as much as uh, Borderlands. Because on its own, it's still funny. It doesn't require you to know exactly what's going on. If you came into the uh, king's uh, throne room and you saw this huge convoluted machine uh, to kill the king instead of you know, just killing him, you know, it would still be funny. Yeah. But hearing uh, them yell, double rainbow, what does it mean? It doesn't make any sense if you don't know the reference. Whoa. Double rainbow. That's a that's a deep pull on the internet, man. That's from like well, that no, the, well, well, that's one like that, that I could think of immediately from uh, Borderlands Two. That's in the game. Yeah, I don't remember that from Borderlands Two. I mean, you know, I I just don't remember it. So I mean, that that does help make your point. It's like that sort of thing is not really memorable, and if you don't know what it is, then you won't get it. But yeah. No, I did. I think the James Bond reference was my favorite with the convoluted death machine. <laughs> and uh, you, you kill him by uh, uh, shooting the guy that's on the bicycle uh, powering the machine. Yeah. And when you uh, uh, and you never actually kill him, you just you knock him, uh, you knock the bicycle loose and it takes off. Doesn't he like go crash into a wall? Uh, or ca- he crashes through a window, but he's fine. Maybe. Probably not, if I'm honest. Come on, with all the death and destruction in this game, do you think they would just kill a random guy on a bicycle? Yeah, 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 yes. they would, wouldn't they? <laughs> I wonder if it'd be but. better for you to play with, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just me, just the two of us. I don't know, maybe. You know, less chaos to let you learn the game? I mean, I think I got a pretty decent handle on it. I would, I Next time we play... Whenever that is, I'm definitely going to do someone different than Space Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I think I got a pretty decent handle on how to play. Like, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, the only thing that... that... Like, it's one of those things, it's, like, simple to learn, but maybe difficult to master all the potential combos and the best situations to use them mm-hmm. in. Plus, memorizing a few of the, uh, like, the actual, like, spells or whatever. Yeah, because some of them are, uh, yeah, very tough, because uh, the big one is... Uh, I think rainstorm is probably the toughest, or that, or uh, the uh, that big fire spell, because you have to hit like fire, water, fire, water, water, fire, water, <laughs> or yeah, a, a very precise sequence. 
or the meteor storm is also a bad one where you have to create a uh, a, a a steam and then you have to create a fire then another steam yeah and yeah saying there you know, just doing outside of combat's fine but whenever you're trying to do it during combat it becomes a little bit more difficult yeah that one took me a little bit to try and get figured out cuz i was like I, I just didn't like notice it first like cuz the icons are pretty small i was like is that steam? Like, it took me a little bit to figure out it was steam, because it looked similar to, I believe, the lightning icon. Mm-hmm. And so it kept canceling it out. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? But then and I then there's also things like, uh, if you're wet, uh, if you try to use anything that has lightning in it, you shock yourself, and you don't uh, actually start uh, charging the spell. Yeah. So then you have to light yourself on fire to put out, or to, to dry yourself off. But... Yeah. Or you get uh, frozen a lot easier if you're wet into just a solid block of ice. Yeah. I mean, it's got a lot of, you know, like I said, really interesting concepts, but there's lots of stuff that I didn't I didn't like about the game, so. Yeah, see. Uh, Not uh, a good see, game I, in my. Yeah, I really like Magicka, but the thing is that it was just having so many <clears> technical <throat> issues that it, it wasn't a good night to show it off to you. Which yeah. is disappointing. That's okay. I mean, like I said, uh, you know, I played again. So, um, and then let's see. Last game on our list is DefCon, which we played last night for Community Game Night, which is another game I had never played before. <laughs> and another but, one that I played a fair amount. Um, but I got it figured out pretty quickly, but the way that the game plays out, I wasted essentially the first three phases learning what to do. Yeah, uh, well, so all of my stuff was way out yeah, of Def position is when a, the actual... Well, I was going to say, DEFCON is essentially the ending sequence to War Games. Uh, the, what, 1982 movie? Where yeah. uh, it's playing out a global thermonuclear war. Uh, and our game, if you don't account time acceleration, was what, like two hours uh, on the game clock? Two, uh, actually more like three or four. It was closer to three hours. We did a lot of time acceleration there at the no, end. No, I was, I was talking like, about right, the actual game timer, on... not uh, how long we No, were. yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it was like th- somewhere between three and four hours on the actual timer because towards the end we started doing a lot of time acceleration because it's like, well, just waiting on all the nukes to fly across the map because everyone's out of, you know, whatevers. So we just got to wait. Yeah, and it's a very rock paper scissors game where uh, the different fleets, different makeups uh, beat certain things. Uh, carriers are uh, are very vulnerable, but uh, are able to uh, send out fighter groups or send out uh, bomber groups to be able to launch a shorter range nuke. Uh, battleships are able to defeat carriers really easily. Carriers are able to defeat subs by dropping uh, bombs. Or just you know surface fighting, mm-hmm. and and then submarines uh, can launch medium range ballistic missiles, and then also they're pretty effective against is it battleships and other submarines in combat. I think so, but they're also able to uh, set their sonar to active to be able to hunt down other submarines a lot easier, but it also makes them more visible. Yeah, I mean it's a very simple game and concept, but there's a lot going on at any particular time. You know, once you get to, I would say DefCon three, because you're trying to maneuver into position and also try to scout out the enemy. And and during <laughs> yeah. different phases, different things are allowed to happen. Like in DefCon five, uh, fleets are able to move out, uh, but 
at like DEFCON 3, I think it was, you were able to launch fighters to be able to scout. Yeah, I think in DEFCON 1 and 2, you can just move fleets around. Oh, uh, no, 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 it counts the other way. It's 5 to 1. Where, what did I say? You said uh, 1 and 2. That's when nukes. Oh. Yeah, I knew it in my head. I promise I knew it in my head. I just <laughs> said it backwards. But I guess I'm thinking like in phase 1 and 2, which is DEFCON 5 and 4. And that's where it bit crisscrossed in my brain. But in 5 and 4, it's what? You can just move fleets around and you can like communicate with other players. So I guess try and set up alliances, although we were playing on a team against the AI just because, I mean, I had never played it before and you had not played it in a long time. And I think Cube, he played a, a game with uh, Kyle earlier, but I think he said that was the first time game he'd played in a long time. So we were all like, let's team up. And honestly, it so was I guess a lot in the more first, fun. Yeah, I guess in, in the first two phases, it's just maneuvering and posturing. And, yeah, and the thing you know, is that fleets move very slowly and subs uh, move even slower. Yeah. So And then and, uh, and also, and also DEF CON 5 is whenever you set up your uh, infrastructure. Oh, okay. Yep. And then DEF CON 4 is moving, and then 3 is also moving, and then you can launch fighters. 2, you can start having combat with naval units. And then in DEFCON 1, it's when you can start using the nukes from your ICBMs, your subs, and then the Carriers. bomber-launched nukes. Yeah. So, I mean, the goal of the game is basically just blow up the most no, shit no, actually, and the goal of the game, most of your shit it, without being blown the up. The goal of the game actually is to lose the least. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I, what I was not, saying. Not, like, not necessarily. I mean, enemy I stuff mean uh, a lot of it is just, you know, uh, how much uh, you're able to keep because I I actually won our match mostly because I was pretty much unscathed. I went, well, I mean, that's what I was saying. Like part two of that, that I was saying is blow up the most enemy stuff and keep the most of your stuff from being mm-hmm. blown up. All right. All right. I, I, I was completely untouched until near the end, like whichever computer player had all their stuff in Asia, uh, whenever they decided to go, buck wild and launch all of their nukes at once that's when that's the only time i got hit and i think that was when you got hit the worst yeah but they targeted my infrastructure so it didn't uh, really count against me Uh, whenever they uh, launched something at a city i had enough uh, defenses in place to be able to uh, just swat it down and also i had my uh sub fleet in range to be able to uh just start peppering them with uh nukes myself so I was able to knock out a couple of their launchers and cost them probably about 10 uh, different nukes. And that's the other thing is that nukes are a finite resource. So you have to be careful about spending them too uh, haphazardly. Yeah, nothing regenerates. No nukes, no fighters, no bombers, no ships. When they're gone, they're gone. So I'm, I made the mistake early on just because I didn't know what I was doing of losing a lot of fighters and bombers because... I sent them out too far or would send them on multiple missions and they ran out of fuel and, you know, then they would crash and then I couldn't get them back. And then towards the end of the game, I had this problem of like, well, I've got tons of nukes in my air bases and on some of my carriers, but I have no, not no, but I only had a few bombers. So I kept having to rebase the bombers to utilize the nukes and that eats up valuable time. And then my sub fleet, because I messed up with like didn't realize how slow scr- submarines were scrub marines and putting 
scrub marines and putting a whole fleet of subs makes them i guess slower than a standard fleet or i don't yeah, but the, i didn't quite figure out how the fleet speed works yeah but, but the thing is that also if uh, you have something uh, a surface vessel mixed in with a, a sub it you know gives an indication oh there's something there yeah so i did have a couple of fleets that had subs mixed in but it was mostly i put all the subs by themselves in their own fleet so but but I mean I sent it off on a wild goose chase at the beginning and it was out of position the whole game until the very end I got it close enough to India to dump all of the nukes on all the cities in India which I had already nuked with aircraft deployed bombs so it was kind of a waste but I was like I mean the timer's almost up if I don't launch all these nukes are not going to get used so yeah, I uh, see, turned I, India yeah, into glass yeah, there was, uh, was it you or Cube that I stole a couple targets from just because I was attacking with my subs. Yeah, it was Cube. Because you and he focused a lot on America. Well, well, and then you hit... Well, I was in Europe, so... Europe. Uh, well, I was in Europe, so I, my tar- my natural targets was either uh, Africa, which was you. So that would have been... No, yeah. Uh, that would have been a dick move. Actually, impossible for me to do, but still. Uh, Western Russia, because you know, Russia is a big-ass uh, piece of land. So it's a little hard for me to hit Eastern uh, Russia and or Eastern Asia, I should say, or yeah, just I, uh, or just sail across the uh, sea and uh, hit North America. So I chose uh, North America, and I also softened up Western uh, Russia to be able to uh, do some damage there. And actually, it was uh, did some pretty significant damage <laughs> at one point. Yeah, I mostly went after East Asia once I kind of got my act together. I wasted most of my ICBMs early on because I didn't quite realize you know how the whole system works because it doesn't it's not like you know you can't like target all of them and they all launch at once they launch sequentially and there's a timer on each launch so i mean you can use multiple sites to ensure that you uh get a really good saturation to essentially prevent them from being able to shoot everything down but i didn't do that initially i'd like okay i'll open up this one site and dump 10 nukes or i think it's 10 in the silos dump all 10 like in this region and then they all got shot down because I just I didn't realize that. Yeah, at one point so I, I, I wasted I, a lot of my ICBMs. Yeah, at one point I nearly got nuked, and I thought it was going to get through, so I switched my uh, silos to attack mode and uh, peppered. A, I would say about a third to a half <clears throat> my payload of those silos on Western uh, Russia. Yeah, it was a bad day, uh, but on the plus side, you know, uh, Russian winters are going to be a lot colder now. <laughs> and warmer because of the, all the radiation. And uh, based on what we know of Japan, Russia's going to get a little wacky. <laughs> Yay. <clears throat> Which I nuked Japan. Uh, I hit Tokyo and another city. I hit a bunch of cities in Asia and then India. Uh, I hit every city in India multiple times. I got an achievement for nuking a city that had zero population left. <laughs> Which takes dedication, I might add. It does. Well, I mean, you have... How many ICBMs do the subs have? Five? Or not ICBMs, but MRBMs. Uh, I think it's I think six. It's five each. It's six? Well, you five can get six. six. You get six ships and a fleet, and I launched all of those nukes at the four cities in India. So that's either 30 or 36 nukes Sheesh. that I launched at four cities. 
Fuck these cities in particular. <laughs> yeah, fuck you guys in particular. So I think, I think we're playing it again next Monday. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the plan. I, I just want okay. to play against AI again because it's more fun just to send bullshit instead of having to try to strategize. Yeah, we were doing a little bit of strategy there. Yeah, but, but it was mean, more coordinated. You two, you two overwhelmed America, <laughs> and I don't know if I just got lucky or if I did good enough to keep the computer in Asia from doing much until the very end. Well, I think end. I was playing passively, was... and also uh, the one in Southeast Asia, because uh, Asia was divided into two, uh, essentially north and south. Uh, it had yeah. most of its silos uh, over in China, essentially. So it left a good chunk of the land pretty much undetected because silos, they swap between a defensive mode and an attack mode. When they're uh, not launching nukes, they're uh, attempting to shoot down any aircraft that's uh, in their airspace. So because of that, whenever you were attacking India, there was going to be a very limited defense there because there was likely only one silo there. Yeah, and Cube and I worked together to take out the one silo that was in India. Yeah, and I also did a uh, screw-up because I thought I could send my sub-fleet uh, essentially through the Arctic to get to over to near uh, Alaska to be able to attack uh, the eastern uh, part of Russia and uh, down into China. Uh, but I hit a, a, an invisible wall and the sub-fleet moved so slowly that, you know, that was pretty much, oh, well, uh, that's as far as I'm going to go. I'm not going to be able to get around this. Yeah. I, I initially sent my sub-fleet. I was sending them towards the Indian Ocean and then I turned them around and headed them towards North America. And then once you two had basically wiped out North America, because Cube was South America, I turned them around and headed them back towards the Indian Ocean. So they basically just did a big old loop. But they, like, you know, like I said, they managed to get close enough to India, like just barely in range. But I was like, fuck it. We're in the countdown timer. There's like 20 minutes left gotta launch them yeah i was uh saying there with the mass up well one of my sub fleets there and uh just off the coast of new york waiting for a distraction to be able to just uh pepper the eastern seaboard <laughs> yeah and this game i mean it takes a long time i mean you'll wait even the short range ballistic missiles that launch from bombers you'll well, wait the thing is we weren't uh speeding four up time. five minutes for them to hit yeah, yeah, but I mean, if you're playing it at at reg, you know one x speed, although it does have a real time mode, which it uh, what was that work mode? Yeah, work mode uh, like essentially uh, stretches the game out to, uh, I think it's eight or ten hours. It's meant to be played over land, uh, like an office, which yeah, which would be hilarious. <clears throat> I'm gonna try and play it at work one day and just see how it goes just issuing orders and then leaving it because the thing is is that like if i'm seeing clients i can't look at it but once every 30 minutes to an hour so things might still go really badly well oh hey look at it this way depending on the client it may either really interest them or really spook them yeah i can actually think of clients who it would go both ways on but yeah I don't, uh... I think that's uh, about it for the end of the world, as we know it. And I feel fine. Well, that's a first. Yeah. <laughs>
So but let's see if we can keep the streak up. Or, or sorry, uh, uh, do it again next week. Then that's a pattern. Then if we do it three times, that's a streak. <laughs> Woo! And hey, we're right at the two-hour mark. Indeed we are. So let's... Unless you need a quick break, let's go ahead and... I wouldn't mind get uh, get, uh, at least topics. getting up and stretching for a moment. So, quick okay. break. That's fine. Quick break. The news. Moving on to our first news topic of the night, the day, whatever. Activision Blizzard lays off 8% of its employees. Yeah. Now, this news broke last week, but because we didn't record last week, well, we're getting to it now, and this is a big topic that... We didn't want to yeah, leave out, it's such so. a shame that uh, Activision Blizzard is struggling and they're not having you know something like uh, you know, like record revenues or anything. Like what is it, sixty billion in revenue? And yes, revenue is not the same as profit. I understand that, but if you've got sixty billion dollars coming in, what the fuck are you doing if you're losing money? <clears throat> um, are you the U.S. government or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, you see what I did there? Zing. Hey, those uh, flights to Florida uh, to play emergency golf don't pay for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, no, I'm sad. Hey, you brought it up. I did. This one's on That's me. on you. So, so essentially. Until uh, the shutdown actually happens, then you blame the Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, essentially what happened is that, uh, oh, shit, what's his name? The, the person who actually made the announcement, the CEO, Kotick? Bobby Kotick. Oh. I always screw up. Kotick, his... Kotick. I'm not sure how you say his name. I, I remember from Jim Sterling's uh, Jim position, he said Bobby Kotick. So yeah, but then again, you know, I, are you going to trust Jim Sterling's pronunciation? <laughs> eh, whatever. Bobby. Good old Bobby. I, I'm not sure if you can use Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby. Uh, came out and basically here's – I'm just going to summarize up everything. We're doing great, or no, we're having lots of sales, we're bringing in lots of money, our revenue is up, but mm, we're, we need to, we're failing to meet expectations, we need to sort of uh, trim trim the fat to make sure that we uh, continue to bump up our profits uh, in the coming year. So, even though we're bringing in shit loads of cash, uh, a bunch of you are losing your jobs. Bye! Yeah, and they hit the esports department pretty hard, and Blizzard is pretty much pulled out of esports, with the exception of StarCraft now. Uh, even Overwatch? Uh, Overwatch, uh, they haven't pulled out completely, but I'm pretty sure the Overwatch League hasn't performed like they uh, originally hoped. Let's see. Overwatch League viewership. Let's see what they're actually pulling in this. Uh... Well, let's just put it this way. Top story. Overwatch League fans escorted from Blizzard Arena after accusations of harassment. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, so. I'm not seeing any numbers on this. So let's see stats. Reports 10.8 viewers on the Overwatch League finals. That was that was uh, six months ago. So that's not bad. That's not bad at all, really. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, uh, is that all the viewers, though? Don't know. But, I mean, this, so, the, you know, back on topic, this whole thing is just fr so frustrating. Like, they're bringing in record numbers, you know, 
bringing in tons and tons of of cash tons of revenue you know it it's quoted here in the article from tech raptor uh where is it uh bobby Kotick reports that the company once again and this is the quote once again achieved record results for 2018 thanks to the success they're increasing dividends to stockholders by nine percent but even with success the company failed to reach their expectations so i just uh, it just makes me so mad the fact that capitalism sucks well, that and also uh you know the workers need to unionize because we see this cycle year after year after year a matter of fact I'm expecting to see another major layoff before the end of the year, just because this one's happened so early. Where, you know, they're not meeting expectations. Maybe it's gamed in sales quite as well as it uh, should have. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Anthem. It's tough to tell right now. Yeah, but would not be a huge surprise if it was. But, uh, you know, didn't meet expectations, so uh, let's shut down the company. Uh, Still making profit, but not making all the profit. Yeah. And another thing is, is like, this is covered very thoroughly in the Chimquisition, if you... Which will be in the uh, show notes. Go watch that. But essentially, they have had explosive year-on-year growth for the last several years that's just not sustainable long-term. Like, yes, you can have great years or even great periods, but everything sort of levels off and comes back down. You know, there are um, booms and busts in any industry, in any... Um, market, and it, if you're riding high, you won't be for forever, and you have to m- make plans for long term. Okay, what are we going to do when we have some bad bad years or bad seasons? Yeah, but uh, the, but and, the video game industry doesn't think long term; they think short term. I mean, I, most businesses, particularly in the United States and several other extremely capitalistic countries that don't have. Lots of regulation and things like that. Uh, regulation to have evil. these We're, problems. We should get rid of it, right? I mean, there's lots of problems with that in in uh, in my inter- industry in the mental health field. Always trying to figure out how can we squeeze the most money possible out of insurance companies and out of people while providing the least amount of care as possible. And we're constantly fighting that at my clinic. Like, look, we get it. You want to make money. The way to make money is to hire more people to actually do these jobs instead of trying to squeeze so much labor out of all the rest of us but that's another discussion for another yeah, before time before long you're going to need therapists but, for the therapists <laughs> but seeing this sort of play out on a much larger scale you know with what to me is unfathomable amounts of money you know 60 billion dollars i can't even like picture that in my head you know as a thing well see it starts with a six then a zero then a b right but i mean you know you know what you know, I think you know what yeah. I mean. It's like, you know, a yeah. well, million yeah, dollars is yeah, a lot of a, money. A, a skit that uh, Penn & Teller had on bullshit where they talked about large numbers where after a certain point, uh, our brains just can't comprehend that number. You, know, right. you, can, you have the concept of one. You have the concept of two. You have the concept of five. But once you get past, you know, uh, 10, you start grouping things together. Uh, right. 50, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a bigger group. You're not thinking about the individuals. So whenever there's a talk of uh, billions and trillions of dollars, they're just words at that point. Yeah. And, like, to some extent, you can quantify some of it. Like, a million dollars is, to me, like, a shitload of money. But a million dollars is, like, a really nice 
big house or something like that. Like I can kind of quantify that. But when you get up into the tens, hundreds of millions, billions, it's like I have no, you know, tangible comparison to that. They're just numbers on a scoreboard, basically. That makes, you know, like in concept, it makes sense. But like trying to put it into perspective is practically impossible for someone in my position. So these huge numbers they're throwing around, it's like, you don't need to lay off 8% of your workforce, which worked out to be about 800 people across all of Activision Blizzard's properties, because they, you know, they're more than just, like, you think of Activision Blizzard, you think of like, aha, the two main companies, but they also own quite a few other smaller studios and uh, other things. Like it says on here, Activision Blizzard King and High Moon uh, were the ones that mentioned, but they have more than that, that they... Uh, own or have a controlling share in or something like that so you know it's it's a lot of employees it's they had nearly 10,000 employees across all of their uh entities well no so, uh, yeah that's uh, sorry uh, yeah activision blizzard had uh, 9,600 employees in 2018 so about uh, 800 people will be looking for new jobs and then there's the twitter uh tag uh uh, Activision Blizzard uh, layoffs and you know uh, people trying to snatch up all the talent, and then the cycle repeats all over. What is the turnover rate? Like five to uh, five to six years on average before uh, you know programmers and uh, uh, the art people just are you know tossed aside and a, a new group is brought in. I know it's a, I know I it's an absurdly know, no, low number for the industry compared to other. Uh, uh, entertainment industries you don't hear about massive layoffs like this in other media industries at such a regular interval it never happens like yeah. this i have read reports and seen things that some people say every two to three years and then some people say that the cycle is a bit longer you know five six years you don't find a lot of career people who have been at one yeah, company typically if for you do, they're the executives. 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. I think that, you know, what I've what I've read and, and seen just comes from different devs are, I don't know, worse about it. Like, as soon as they're done with a project, they'll dump everyone, except for maybe like a few key staff or like their upper management or whatever, and start from scratch for their next project. And then other devs will keep, people on for longer but the cycle is still relatively short compared to most most careers although i'm not sure how much of that can come down to just that um there are some trends that you see in a lot of industries where the young people are staying with jobs for shorter amounts of time particularly in america uh because pay increases you know raises don't keep up with inflation and also your insurance is tied to your job Yep, you're in, yeah. Packages, like benefits packages and things don't ever get upgraded or rarely do. So it's actually better, more, you know, more economical for you to just get a new job somewhere because the starting salary will be higher than whatever yours was because the starting salaries are, do account for inflation and things like that. So that is a trend that we're seeing more and more with uh, millennials us damn millennials ruining everything with your avocado toast <laughs> and wanting to be paid a living wage <sighs> i know fuck us right well you've been trying so uh, yeah 
<laughs> I'm not sure how much of that comes down to the gaming industry, but you're right. They do have a much higher turnover than I've seen in any other industry in terms of layover and stuff. Well, and like part of it is that, like you know, that. it's, uh, yeah, the job market is just absolutely huge for, you know, uh, kids uh, going into gaming and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to create the next, uh, you know, uh, great game. And they get into these uh, companies and are just crushed. It's uh, really depressing whenever you think about all the uh, you know, hopes and dreams that just uh, get uh, crushed under EA's boot or Activision's boot or uh, even Ubisoft's boot. You know, pretty yeah. much any of the major almost, uh, groups. I almost went that route. I almost went to school for game design. But it was right at the cusp, I think, of when this really started to become a noticeable trend. Mm-hmm. Like in the, you know, because I went to college in the late 2000s. Uh, I started college in 08. So, you know, right then around that time when some of this stuff was just starting to become noticeable, or I don't want to say it just started happening then. I'm sure this has been going on for a lot longer than we realize, but due to the growing number of games journalists and uh, increasing coverage on stuff and gaming becoming more mainstream, like I started to notice it and I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want something that's more sustainable. So I went with therapy. Became <laughs> okay, a therapist, which is not a very high-paying career generally, but I'm much more satisfied with my work, and I don't feel the crushing pressure of being forced yeah, to you work. Think, uh, yeah, you would think you'd have to be crazy going time, and I don't. I'm not constantly in fear for my job, basically. And a lot of game devs, you know, that's what they say: is you're constantly worried we're gonna get let go or. You know, the project's coming to a close. Are they going to hold on to me, or am I going to be looking for new work and have to move again or whatever? Like, I've seen tons and tons and tons of stories about that. Some, You know, a lot of them in the wake of this. Yeah, that's uh, part of like, the reason why you see all the game, uh, game devs just start to cl- uh, group together at their headquarters. Yeah, there's a couple uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, there's, of course, San Francisco, which I never understood why they chose there. Because that's, like, the worst place possible for uh, land values. But hey, yeah. avocado toast for I mean, days. That... Oh, yeah. I mean, at some point, too, there might have been some incentives or something that prompted them to go there or business reasons that made more sense. But nowadays, I don't know why you wouldn't just find, you know, go to go to Tennessee or Alabama or Georgia or something and buy some land there. It's real cheap. Oh, yeah, it's real cheap here as well. As long as you don't mind some uh, mine contamination. Now, most of Tennessee's power is extremely cheap being provided by TVA. We have a lot of hydroelectric and nuclear power in our in the state. Cheap, relatively cheap energy. I don't know why there's not more game devs in Tennessee. But that's a discussion for another mm-hmm. time, I guess. Ooh, that would be a fun, like, side topic. What game developers or studios or something are are or have been present in your state? I'm pretty sure it's just a little indie studios uh, at most for me. Yeah. Possibly. You never know, though. I'm doing a quick Google right now. Well, there's the Game Dev Expo. So, yeah, there is something. But, yeah, it's uh, it's on the border between West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. So, I have a feeling it's more not for my state. Hmm. Yeah. My state has absolutely nothing that I can find. There's a couple well, random ones here or there, and that's about it. But, yeah, that's about what I expected. 
Uh, hey, here's an article about uh, Fallout 76 uh, uh, partnering uh, with West Virginia <laughs> to promote tourism. Hey, there's a segue. Nice. Yeah, let's just let's go ahead. I don't know how much more I have to say about this really <laughs> other than it sucks and they sucks. So fuck them. Fuck Activision Blizzard. And speaking of fucking things. Fuck Bethesda. <laughs> uh, did you really think we were not going to have uh, Fallout 76? This is a story that's kind of just making the rounds now that happened a couple weeks ago. I hadn't seen anything about it, at least. Uh, had you? No, I hadn't. We found this right before we started recording. We, we were You were looking up something on YouTube. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was Young A's video about Anthem, uh, about the grand wall that you hit in, during the main story. And you didn't believe me on just how bad it was. Well, I mean, I wasn't, like, I just didn't know. Uh, know? But I saw this, and I just froze. Bethesda broke their promise that Fallout 76 microtransactions would be cosmetic only. (sighs) Who's surprised? Raise your hand. No one? No one? I don't think Bueller? Bueller? Uh, to be fair, I wasn't expecting it like this. I was expecting either those uh, fabled lunchboxes that we keep seeing pop up or uh, the card packs. <clears throat> but no, they they wouldn't yeah. even scum your route. Uh, what they did was at the beginning of the month, they had a set of costumes uh, called the Outcast, it was? Or, or oh, no, the Unstoppables. Uh, and the Unstoppables are a group of superheroes, I believe, in the Fallout lore. This is the first I ever heard of them, so maybe it's new with the Fallout 4 or Fallout 76. So, some of them have been in previous games, like Grognak the Barbarian. Okay, okay, um, I do. Like I, part of the uh, okay, I didn't series. realize he was part of this group. Yeah, I don't know how much of it has been flushed out in lore previously. I, I do remember the, co- the comics the in New Vegas, now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, but they had cosmetics. Yeah, big surprise. They patched the, the game and uh, probably broke something and uh, put in a bunch of cosmetics. But in this event, if you were wearing a costume of one of these five, you would get a 15-point health buff. And if you were... Which you think 15, and you're like, that doesn't sound like very much. But actually, based on, like, we looked at the table, it's the equivalent of 12 points. Well, well no, 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 no. That's uh, with all the, uh, 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 because uh, the this buff stacks. Oh, that was all 60? Yeah, yeah, that this was buff all 60. stacks. So okay. if you have a group of four people, and they did something insidious and made it so that it was unique costumes, so you would have to co- uh, coordinate, you would have a 60-point health buff, which was the equivalent of about 10 or 11 points into the adre- or into the endurance stat, or to put it this way, it was ten health points more than the biggest HP buff in the game, or or, or I should say the baseline HP buff in the game because I'm not sure if they have another HP buff beyond buff out, but buff out has a five minute uh, timer on it. This is permanent for during that event, and of course. To you know, to stave off you know, the pay-to-win cries, they did make one free. But remember, it's unique costumes. So if you have a friend and you're using the free one, well, they're going to have to pay up or vice versa. Incredibly scummy, huh? 
It's just, I don't see how people are looking at this and saying this isn't pay to win because this is a huge advantage. It's definitely, you know, buy power. You're buying power. An argument, I didn't see this made anywhere, but I'm sure somebody made this argument. It's like, well, the biggest focus of Fallout 76 is PvE. Yeah, but so it's PvP. it's not like you're using it against other players. You can avoid PvP. Like, I'm sure that argument was made somewhere. So, you know, sure, technically not pay to win, but it's still buying power. Yeah, and... Which is still yeah, scummy and, think about and this. shitty. Okay, the base HP in the game is 250. You have a group of uh, four people with the 60. Then you put on the buff out, which is another 50. So you can get essentially a, roughly a 50% boost from the base health. Yeah, I mean, that's just absurd. And people are saying this isn't buying like, power? I, really? Yeah, if you go look at the two subs, the just the general Fallout sub versus the Fallout 76 subreddit, the there are two distinct narratives around this with Fallout 76 being like, oh, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. You're just whining. Yeah, it's Stockholm Syndrome, you know. I think. Whereas the general Fallout subreddit is like, yeah, this really sucks. They lied to us. They said they weren't going to do this. I don't care if it's a limited time. It's still doing it. Plus, the fact that they were did it for a limited time thing once is a very strong indicator. They'll probably do that again. Or they have something else planned and they were testing the waters. And, yeah, they looked at the subreddit and it's like, oh, yeah, that... Oh. I mean, I'm just looking at some of this, and there's uh, people here talking about the irrational fear of uh, the uh, Fallout event. It's just, uh, I, I just don't, I don't understand how people could uh, could rationalize being screwed over like this and being blatantly lied to. All right, if it's one, if it's one thing that, yeah, if they had to pull a feature or something, you know, that wasn't going to make the cut, and or you know, they uh, toyed around with it and it didn't work out. That's one thing, but this, yep, this is pl- pretty blatant to me. Yeah, this is a just kind of dry. Yep, yeah, you know, we're not making enough money on this. We're going to go back on this promise, and we're going to start p- selling power. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very shitty. I mean, just another reason for me to not get this game and play it. I mean, again, if it if it became free, I'd check it out just for you know sort of pure curiosity yeah, I, yeah i'm interested point, in on but... what they did with the map but that's it i mean i mean let's yeah. put it this way uh, th- this isn't on the docket but uh, a few weeks ago there was an event that bugged out and was uh, teleporting people into the or one of the locked vaults that people think is going to be a future dlc which you want to bet that's going to be paid dlc now <laughs> Oh yeah, almost certainly. And there was people begging not to get uh, uh, banned for it. Because the big thing is that if they catch you in a place that you're supposed to be, oh, suddenly your save file is corrupt. And, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, they're just such bullshit artists. It's just amazing yeah. that people are actually defending Bethesda in this. That That's what uh, really shocks me most about this. Not the fact that Bethesda lied, because, you know, Bethesda... Uh, it, yeah, but that's the lie so much that they should get into politics. Uh, they underdeliver <laughs> so much they should be in politics. 
But yeah, that yeah, uh, that checks out. I mean, it makes me not want to touch another Bethesda product. Yeah, I'm still. <sighs> it gets harder and harder for me to be like, yeah. I mean, they suck, but well, I still. Well, well want here's the thing: Elder is Scrolls that six. this isn't a problem unique to Fallout seventy six. Fallout seventy six just magnifies all the problems that Bethesda has internally, because they rationalize bugs uh, that should be fixed because uh, it's kind of funny whenever you know, this particular thing happens. Okay, maybe once in a while, but they do it over and over and over again. They break their own stuff over and over again. They expect the modders to fix their stuff so much that I think that they had some sort of autopilot on when they released Fallout 76 and expected the modders to fix the game. I really do. <laughs> because that's the only way I could explain the game launching in such a poor state that you know it's hard to even call it a double a title let alone triple a there's so many things in bethesda's corporate culture that's uh fallout 76 has shown a light on that's been in place for years that yeah it's hard for me to really rationalize be able to support them anymore yeah i mean that's fair that is totally fair the you know the the thing that I typically go with, and I agree with what a lot of you know pundits and things have said. Is it's like, you know, the stuff that makes Bethesda games enjoyable, despite all of those things being you know the, their their particular brand of storytelling and world building and stuff like that, um, <clears throat> is not present in Fallout seventy six. Which does yes, it does magnify all the problems that they have. But being someone who's very much a story, you know, gamer who likes the types of stories that Bethesda tells, while not perfect, like, you know, in no sense of the word are perfect, but, you know, that stuff is stuff that I'm still very much interested in. Yeah, because I'm a gameplay so. guy. Yeah, I absolutely hated Skyrim. Yeah. Um, if I, so, if I, mean, I threw this... enough mods at it, I could probably get it to tolerable. But, you know, there's only so many mods that the game could support until it just crashes because of a buffer overflow. Right. And mods can't fix everything. No, but mods can fix lots of stuff. Yeah, Bethesda's tried to show that one uh, to be true, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, Bethesda sucks. Again. Hey, uh, how about another company that sucks? (laughs) Hey, you go for this one. (laughs) Maybe we should have added a a, a, a positive use topic on this. That's fine. We talked about a lot of games that we enjoyed, so this is to counterbalance also, also, that. Also, it's my fault. I talked about a game I loved, and all, suddenly all the news sucks. Yeah, this week, it's yeah, I get to blame you. It's your fault. Usually, see, it's my fault. Uh, see, so we could have added the Disney it. article. Nah. <coughs> so, Civilization Six Steam in-user license agreement changes to allow for data collection. So, anyways, with the most recent... Uh, expansion, DLC, whatever, for Civ Six. They made some changes for the EULA, and it is running data collection in the background. Again. On, yeah, again. Um, by, is this an opt-out system? Like, you're opted in by default, and they opt-out, or is I think it it's just on. on all the time, period? I think it's just on, because I haven't seen anyone talk about a way to disable it. Yeah, I haven't seen that either, but... Just wondering if you knew before I was like, it runs all the time and you can't turn it off. Yeah, I'm just double checking to see if there 
there's any info on that, but I'm not seeing anything. It's just, yep, people are talking about a, a process running in the background. Yeah. Um, so, uh, here's, I'm just going to read the quote that's in the article. It says, the information we collect may may include, so does include, personal information such as your first and or last name, email address, phone number, photo, mailing address, geolocation, payment information, reads the new EULA. In addition, we may collect your age, gender, date of birth, zip code, hardware configuration, console ID, software products played, survey data, purchases, IP address. A small stool sample. And the systems. And the systems you have to play on. We may combine the information with your personal information and across other computers or devices that you may use. So, I mean, it's basically, hey, we're going to collect all Yeah, and this is how I combined uh, their new EULA with uh, the Take-Two EULA. So, uh, if you look at the... I, I just wanted to make that perfectly clear. If you look at uh, the yeah. Civ 6 uh, EULA, you won't see all of this, but you will see part of it, and, and then it's uh, tied into Take-Twos. So, damn, right? Yeah, some of this stuff is fairly common, like um, information about your hardware, your usage or play stats. Yeah, but mailing or... addresses. Yeah, even like IP addresses can be pretty common, things like that. But um, yeah, mailing address, photo. What I mean, photo is kind of vague. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean it's going to essentially do what your phone says and it's like, oh, have access to your the photos on your phone? Or is this like a camera type thing? Like some of that definitely needs to be explained in more detail. Oh, I can't do that. Uh, that would uh, be too transparent. Um. So, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I, you know, I don't know for sure why. My theory is data collection for to, to yeah, sell. Well, that was my like first one. Avenue to get your data. It's, uh, say that again. Sorry. Uh, it was either that or piracy for me. Them trying to uh, you know, collect information and compare it against uh, uh, their database of uh, none sales. Gotcha. That makes sense. I didn't think of that. I'm also always thinking data collection to either do, you know, some sort of targeted advertising or figure out things like uh, what is it, optimal pricing. Or whatever it's called, whether they try and figure out exactly how much you'll pay for something and then specifically market that to you, as opposed to just having like yeah, blanket pricing a, for yeah, things. Yeah, there's some people that are saying that this was done months ago, but it's just now making the rounds, which I'm not 100% certain on when they changed the EULA. But the fact that, yeah, this yeah. is a thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very possible they could have changed it previously. And then just whenever you got the new DLC, it like prompted you like, here's our new end user license agreement. And most people just skip through it because that's what well, most people well, that's do. Well, that's the thing. That, no, no, the, no, the, here's the thing is that it's impossible to read all the EULAs. Think about it. Think about how many uh, end-user license agreement you've agreed to in the last year. How many? How long would it take you to read that? A long time. It's actually impossible. I mean, some of the shorter ones I've seen are probably in like the 40 or 50 page range. Yeah. It's just impossible to read all of this. So a lot of this is being parsed by computers to find uh, you know this uh, this crap. There was a, I can't remember the study now, but it was determined that it was physically impossible to uh, to read all the EULAs that you're required to agree to. 
to completion. And this was back in like the early 2000s. Yeah. And I mean, they get longer and more all the time. As far as I know, they've never held up in court. Um, and I know there have been several cases that have said you can't actually use a EULA to, to, you know, bind someone if they go to court. But I don't know if there have ever been some cases in other places other than the, the states where a EULA has potentially been found binding or if that has changed. Okay, according to... So it's like well, this here's weird... one article that I just found on a quick search. Uh, sorry to interrupt. You need 76 work days to read all the uh, privacy policies each year. And that's just the privacy policies. <laughs> yeah, that's that's too many. And that's a work day, so you know, uh, you know, nine to five. Yeah, it's just absurd uh, the amount of uh, legal stuff that you have to jump through, and then uh, they try to screw you over. Yeah, the one thing that I like about uh, mobile whenever you're doing something on mobile is the EULAs while as long they're still required to too, uh, ask too long permission did, uh, too long didn't read as well uh, yeah they have to there's usually summaries in those like such and such app wants to do this or that will you allow it and then you can read through that and see what it's supposed to do and either yes or no and there have been many apps that nowhere it's mentioned anywhere that they're used for extensive monitoring when you go to install it it's like this app wants access to your camera and pictures and microphone and files and you know blah 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 blah. and i'm like sweet baby jesus no i don't want to try out this free game that much (laughs) uh well to be fair uh uh, looking at the store page i don't want to try out this uh, free game that much (laughs) fair fair play I'm still sitting on like $25 or $26 worth of uh, store credit, and I haven't found a damn thing I want to spend it on. It's uh, sad that, yeah, just the state of the Play Store. So much junk. Yeah, I think I've got two bucks or something like that right now. But, I mean, I'll get audiobooks and rent movies and stuff with all that free credit that I get. I very rarely actually spend it on a game or anything anymore. Uh, but yeah, anything but. else to talk about here? Because you know, this is just—I uh, can't believe they tried this again after Red Shell blew up on them. That—that's the thing. I mean, this was yeah. one of the companies that got hit hard by Red Shell, and eh, let's try to sneak it in again. Makes you wonder just yeah. why, right? You know, why do you want to know all of this information? Yeah, I mean. You know, I think we probably have figured it out. I can't think of any other reason why they need that much information. So, I do want to say, like, yeah, I, I do want to say to the people in our community who regularly play. Well, Civ I, I, well, I pasted this article in uh, when I found it originally uh, into the Discord. Yeah, I, I remember that, and there wasn't really much said about it at the time. But that was what last week yeah. sometime. So you know. What's what? What do guys? What it do? Um, does this bother you, or do you not care? And either way, like why? Why does it bother you? Why do you not care? I feel like the answer of you know it bothers me seems more obvious, but you know 
I might not be in the same wavelength. Maybe there's something else that it bothers you about it that I haven't thought of. And then especially if you're like, yeah, I don't care, whatever. Like, why is that? I would love to know that because this bothers me. Like, I probably won't, unless it changes, I probably won't won't play Civ 6 because I don't, like, I'm not naive. I know that there's tons of my data that I don't want out mm-hmm. there, out there, but I'm not just going to, like, easily hand it over to people who might not have it. So I'm just not gonna not gonna bother with it. But yeah, I think well, I think well that also about wraps it up for us, well, right? Also, yo, I'm from the older school internet guys where we were told never use your real name online. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll they'll come and murder you. Yeah. And now it's just yeah. Everybody uh, posts all their information on Facebook. <laughs> yep. And also start bickering at one another because, you know, it's Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. watching them uh, bicker back and forth about the teacher strike. Uh, that, that's that's fun. I, I should make popcorn and just yeah, watch the Twitter feed. Or just fire up Netflix and uh, watch something good. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be the better option. But, yes, that does pretty much wrap us up for the week. Uh, We'll skip Discovery Q. Uh, We didn't get anything for Community Corner, but we do need to call out uh, the email and the Twitter. So why don't you go ahead and do that, Rach? VGLpodcast at gmail.com or VGLpodcast on the Twitter. And uh, we do have our Discord, which is on the website, vglpodcast.podbean.com. Indeed. And also, uh, just a reminder about our weekly community game night, which is on Monday nights, usually starting at 10 p.m. Eastern. At least it has so far every time. I post a little something on Discord on the day of about what game we're playing. It's just like a reminder. But almost certainly going to be DEF CON again this week. So, I mean, up to six people can play DEF CON in a game. Yeah, but honestly, uh, I we... would prefer to have at least one AI to beat up on. <laughs> Yeah, our plan was to team up against the AI, but, you know, we'll see how many people show up and we'll figure it out, um, you know. So that's that's what the intent is for Monday, is to play uh, DEF CON again. So, I guess that's yeah. everything, except for the part of the podcast where that I go first. Uh, if you want to find my stuff on YouTube, you can do so by searching for Gaming Psychologist. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at JMA4707. I post all kinds of things on Twitter. Sometimes something funny, sometimes something political, sometimes stuff about tech, sometimes silly pictures or links to really interesting YouTube videos. Uh, Then... (laughs) I lost my stride. If you want to be friends directly with me on Steam, maybe ask me questions about games, do some trading, something like that. You can do so by sending your friend request to jarthur4707 on Steam. Uh, enjoy chatting with people on there, but as part of our community focus going forward into the new year, uh, also would love to chat with you guys on Discord, which we just said you can find at vglpodcast.podbean.com. That is find the link to it. Or, you know, if you don't want to do that for some reason, you can always just message one of us on Steam and be like, hey, can I please have just a direct link? to discord which we can we can generate those for you so no worries there either what about you buddy well first of all the password for this week because you kind of rambled there for a bit the password for this week is 
Ichigo Ichie, which it's a a four character idiom that translates into every meeting is a occasion that only happens once and should be treasured. I thought it would uh, be something uh, interesting for uh, Yakuza. That is very, very interesting. Very nice. <laughs> Yo, uh, something that should be treasured because it only happens once. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh. I, I can hear that smile. <laughs> I am smiling. You know me. Unfortunately. Uh, so for me, well, YouTube is uh, stalled because I just had a bout of insomnia for the last several days so my sleep cycle has been just wonked and I've been too tired to really be able to uh, focus especially with what's going down in RimWorld because shit is going down <laughs> so I wanted to record that when I was more awake so I didn't want to risk it so I decided to hold off on that miss today and restart again on Friday I was originally planning on doing Sherlock Holmes uh, uh, as an additional series that just didn't want to record right. Everything just was so blocky whenever I was talking to someone. It was just horrendous looking. And every single setting, I just I couldn't find something that I worked right. Uh, but yeah, YouTube, I should have more content on there by Friday. And who knows, maybe eventually I'll get reaccredited on Keymailer and I could start up the Sunday Sampler again and actually have something... Yeah, somewhat regular. Or uh, depending on how YouTube is going, maybe I'll just uh, shut down the YouTube channel and fire Twitch again because YouTube is doing stupid things again. Ugh. Yeah, I have a rant uh, brewing on that one. You'll probably enjoy it, Jared. Sweet. But if you were to catch me ever on Twitch whenever I eventually have to jump ship, you could do so twitch.tv slash caffeine underscore rage or if you wish to catch me on the Twitter because I don't have exactly a set schedule because it's been several weeks since I've well actually it's probably been about a month since I've done uh, Twitch you can find me uh, caffeine or sorry gaming with CR on uh, the Twitter uh, I think my last big tweet was me tweeting Robin Williams uh, uh, photoshopped as the genie in the upcoming live action Aladdin uh, it made me both happy and sad at the same time, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a shame that uh, yeah we lost Robin Williams. C- can we have him back, please? Uh, yes. Yes, please. <laughs> and also, yes, please, uh, since we just did the email, we'll do it again, just uh, for old time's sake. VGLpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming-related topics. Or just tweet them to us, VGL Podcast. Our lovely, lovely patrons have helped pay for this absolute madness, and you can find out more at patreon.com slash Podcast, which our patrons also pay for our website, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which has the show notes, links to all our media, links to Discord, as well as, well, the RSS feed, because, yeah, that's kind of the thing for it. Or you can go to iTunes, Google Play, or where other good podcasts can be found, and you can find us there. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and you can find his work at Computech.com, and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye See ya! Now.